What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today we have a special guest by the name of Mr. Donnie Van Stavern, who is a member of Texas heavy metal royalty, in my opinion. He and Jason have a lot of history together. Donnie himself has a ton of history, and we're going to get all into that right now. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Donnie Van Stavern, joining us from San Antonio, Satan Tonio, my hometown, heavy metal capital of the world. Satan Tokyo, Satan Tokyo. <laughs> How are you, bud? I'm doing great, man. How are you guys doing? Doing doing well. Glad to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, oh, yeah. I saw you about three or four weeks ago in Houston at the Lita Ford concert. That was, uh, it was fun bumping into you. Neither one of us was in our own, our hometown. It was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I, I know it was weird. I was like, is that Glessner? What the hell is he doing here? We're like, you know, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're away. We're not from Austin or San Antonio and, and, uh, we're over there and watching Lita, but it was for Pat, you know? We yeah. To see yeah. Pat, Pat Kennison do his thing with Lita, which he was, was awesome. Our- he was our first guest on Talk Louder when we our very first guest. When That's we right. started, when we started having guests, he was our very cherry, first cherry yeah. popper. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that was that was fun. Well, cool. Donnie, thanks for uh, thanks for being with us today. I, you and Jason uh, have a lot of history together, um, and I, I've known you. I've known you for quite some time, uh, sort of on the sidelines as a as a fan of metal and going to shows and that sort of thing. But you and Jason are obviously musicians playing in bands uh, that were contemporaries of each other. Watchtower, S.A. Slayer. You were kind of uh, on the ground zero of sort of the 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 heavy metal scene in in the San Antonio Austin area in the early '80s. You guys want to tell us how you met and uh, and some and share some stories about your early stage time together or whatever. Well, we go. I mean, it all started like uh, me and McLean were you know in this other band Seance kicking around for a while, and then we ended up meeting up with uh, that would be Dave McLean. Yeah, it's the Dave McLean. Who went yeah, he's on to in, play in Machine Head, and now he's in Sacred Reich. Is that right? Yeah, he's in Sacred now. Um, yeah. So, me and Dave, you know, we've grown up together. You know, he's he's my brother, literally. I mean, uh, I helped raise the guy when he was, you know, 13, 12, 13. And uh, we kicked around a few projects, and then we got in that seance band for a while. And then we ended up meeting uh, Bob Catlin and Art, Art Villarreal. And uh, we started, you know... Uh, you know, making Slayer at the time, you know, because we were all into the that British heavy metal Iron Maiden and stuff. So we ended up hooking up and we had a few singers. We started off with Harlan and then we went to Christopher Kronk and then we ended up with the legendary Stephen Cooper. Yeah. And uh, we went on to, uh, you know, write music. We would play shows, you know, with not just originals, but we would play, you know, Phantom of the Opera and, you know, and Maiden tunes and Raven tunes and stuff like that. And then we were, we were, believe it or not, we were at a Battle of the Bands flea market kind of thing in San Antonio. And uh, Bob O'Neill was there who owned Boss Studios. And uh, he, uh, he ended up liking what he saw. And he basically signed a band to that Rainforest Records, which Jason was holding up for 
prepare to die. And that's kind of where we lift it off for Slayer. For for J Mac, I mean, you know, what, what known, year? Tell us, tell us what it, what year is. If so, no one knows, I mean, I'm going to guess at that. What you're talking about, your meeting with Bob O'Neill and the whole studio thing, and eighty eighty one when you ended up with Cooper. I was going to guess eighty two, but eighty eighty one sounds sounds right because that's pre Watchtower or Tower was starting around that same time. Right. Anyway. Yeah, it was it was around the same time. And uh, he, you know, he saw something, you know, in it because of the crowd and, and the, the way the band sounded, I suppose. So anyway, that's how we we ended up hooking up. And, you know, the band started becoming more real. And we got a really great following in San Antonio. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were getting into that style at the time. And, uh, you know, that's where, you know, all the bands started, you know, getting unleashed like you guys. And, you know, we had Watchtowers and, and uh, Hellstars and stuff like that. So, you know, and back in the day, we didn't have the Internet. Remember, we were just, you know, cassette tapes, letters, meeting at a concert, you know, and talking about stuff, you know, like when we met Metallica and we were pen pals way back, you know, before uh, all this happened. But uh, I think that's where it started. And then me and J-Mac kind of met through that that avenue you know when you were doing the watchtower thing is that correct or yeah let me this is where i i dive in and go um you know i was gonna actually want to play a game with don where i say a name and he goes holy <laughs> shit and then just barfs all over it and i say another name or hold something up holy shit i haven't seen that in 100 years you know yeah. but i'll just we can play that a little later okay. ricky warheit Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Like that. I uh, I was in I was Perfect. I was in Austin. It was uh probably 83. You guys will know and it was I was seeing Crocus support Def Leppard on Pyromania tour. Frank Irwin Center in Austin. And yeah. I'm in the front row during Crocus and it was Headhunter tour and I'm a fanboy, you know, I'm totally in there and it's, you know, hundred degrees outside summertime tour and I'm wearing a leather jacket and there's a dude right next to me, hundred degrees outside wearing a leather total jacket. believer wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> and we're the only motherfuckers in Texas in the front right. row at a crocus concert. Well, Def Leppard, but I was there for crocus and wearing leather jackets. And we're headbanging together, and we don't even realize that we're kind of headbanging together, you know? Right. And uh, the show ends, and we're freaking out, right? And then I'm like, man, that was rad. And he's like, and he goes, Ricky Warheit, hey, fucker, are you in a band? You know, <laughs> my best Ricky Warheit. Shit, you're bogging. Yeah, and I said, and I said, yeah. Uh, and I told him about Watchtower. And I was, you know, Watchtower was fairly new. I joined Tower in May of 82, so... This would have been, it had to be 83. So, mm. or, no, I, early 83, late 82, shit, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. There was no Metallica yet. Right, right, Metallica right. Metallica hadn't really blown up yet. No, that was the whole about, Megaforce thing that was about to start coming. It was about to start. So the tape right. trading whole thing was like rampant. And yeah. everyone around the U.S. and shit, the world was all into that tape trading. I call it licking stamps, you know, fanzines, <laughs> tape trading, oh, yeah. the whole thing. If you were yeah. in a band writing your own heavy metal songs, that was what you did. And you, yeah. and you, if you didn't know about it, the day you found out about it, you were looking for a list 
of fanzines to write and burn a cassette and send it. And that's mm -hmm. what everyone was doing. Or yep. on a local thing, it's like there were not many bands in Austin that uh, for Watchtower to play with, honestly. They were right. playing Rush and, you know, they were playing covers. We were playing covers, but we were playing the odd Iron Maiden Right. Um, you know, except was brand new to us. Right. We, right. you know, had some except and, and you know, it, you know, uh, Raven, we did a couple Raven songs, shit like that. So I'm right. at a concert meeting this dude and he's asking me about Tower and he's telling me about this band, these dudes, you know, that li basically live in his house with him and his mom in San Antonio <laughs> called Slayer because at that time, we didn't know about a Los Angeles Slayer. No, there wasn't That's one. Well, there probably was, but not yet. Yeah. Right, right. No one knew about that. So he invites me. We exchange numbers, and, and I go, I think I brought Billy White down with me. I think it, or it was me and Mike Solis. It was either yeah. me and Mike Solis or me and Billy yeah, White. Yeah, yeah. The, the memory guys? is not exactly great anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we came down. <laughs> I drove. We drove up to Ricky's house on Danville. Yep. They're off uh, Babcock, right right by Daddy's where Raven and Metallica played. Exactly. Fredericksburg yeah. in between right. Fredericksburg and Babcock. Exactly. exactly. So the, that's like every time I drive through there, guy like to go to Todd Conley's house. That's like holy ground to me, dude. When I oh. drive through that part of San Antonio, my brain and my heart beats faster. I get like emotional. It's true. When when uh, I went to see same thing you're talking about, when I'd see Bird, TC, because he lives what, like a block away? Yeah, I had to, I drove by. I, I drove over there and I parked in front and I was taking pictures of these people's wow. house. Yeah. And they were probably like going, what the hell is this guy doing? Right. But I was, you know, reminiscing going back of that garage door uh, is where it started. I mean, we're yeah. Slayer. You know, we started rehearsing this where I met Mark Reale. Yeah. You know, that's down the line we can talk about. But right. that's where I met everybody there. And that house was just, you know, the house to come hang out. And we rehearsed her, but it was kind of the hang place, you know, the flop house for everybody. But I took pictures of it. And when I send you the batch of pictures, I'll uh, yeah, definitely include it. one. <laughs> so, yeah. so did you guys, did, did Watchtower and S.A. Slayer ever share the same bill? Oh, yeah. Was um, there many occasions? That it, it That is some of, without shedding a tear, that's some of the best moments of my life. Uh I'll, I mean, our guest is Don Van Stavern, but one comes to mind was the very, very, very first time that we saw Slayer play. Uh, and we had just met these guys, and like I feel like Don can maybe confirm that like a couple of weeks later, you guys were going to play that Fourth of July thing mm -hmm. in Holotus, that big dude. Oh, I, have, yeah. I have the I have the flyer. And it was like a three-day Fourth of July, fuck a bang over over at some big outdoor biker party. And it Holotus. was like Floors Country Store or something crazy. Exactly, that's right. That's and exactly right. That's where all the country bands play, and here's a heavy metal band dude, playing. No, dude, it was, but yes, but no, it was like Force and Saber Sabotage and Wizard and oh, Slayer, and they called us, dude. One band dropped off. We played twice. <laughs> we played on a Friday, and then they go. They called a dude. One of the we want you guys to come back. It was like Sunday. Can you guys come back? We we're like fuck yeah. 
So we played twice in one weekend, and I think the Friday night we we went on right before Slayer. I think we run, went on right before you guys, and you guys played March of the Crabs, mm-hmm. fucking uh, Corpse Without a Soul. You guys played all this shit, and I was like, oh, my God, you guys were blowing my mind. And these this material was brand new. It was like yeah. off the first Merciful Fate EP. And like off of, uh, you know, the, the probably arguably the best, it was off metal on metal, wasn't it? Anvil. Metal yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, anyway, we like that, to do Raven and all that stuff. Rock till you drop stuff for the, have, for the future. I think I have a set list with all that shit on it. You guys did. Anyway, that was kind of how we were really introduced. But I was already on the ground level because back to what I was saying, I rolled into town up to Ricky Warheit's house mm-hmm. and bob's green van was there so it was mclean and bob and me and billy and maybe mike solis and we went to hogwild we ate at the the original taco cabana i'll never forget it and and when don it it was just crazy it was crazy crazy. that was the beginning of the whole thing yeah yeah that's when we we met up and then We've been in and out of bands together, friendship forever, and it will last forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. One yeah. of them things. <clears throat> so, uh, Dave, so, bring, us, bring in another one with him. Your, uh, your time in S.A. Slayer, you put out the uh, Prepare to Die EP and the Go for the Throat album, and, and you're wearing the shirt, and I was going to ask about this concert. The, the shirt, for those who are listening and can't see what Donnie's wearing, he's, he's got the Slayer versus Slayer t-shirt which is a legendary gig in Wait. texas metal history Hang on. okay yeah. <laughs> there you go <laughs> cover up the L- la there's the essay there you go so um if i'm not mistaken i i think you guys were were basically broken up at that time and got back together to play that gig if, is that right and and if not correct me and then tell me a little bit about how that show came together and what it was like playing there and what the turnout was like uh yeah i've seen a lot of stories about it and people you know try and write about it. i see some things online and and a lot of them have the story correct and some of them don't it, it you know the versus was kind of a cool thing because we had the same name but the time of it yes we were actually split up at the time we had already started doing other things but the promoter uh who was that promoter? Wasn't it uh, Mark Solis or? That's him, Mark Solis, and the yeah. name of his company is on your shirt, Omni. Omni. Is that what it was, Omni on the shirt? Omni. Yeah. So Omni he Omni he did the he did the show, and we thought it would be cool to. We talked like, hey, let's get together and play a show and have it Slayer with special guests, Slayer, you know, kind of funny, but uh, it turned into the verses and they're battling for the name, and it wasn't really that, you know, it was basically they. We're already, you know, had a full head of steam with, you know, Slagle and Metal Blade and all that. And uh, so it was fun. You know, we just did something where uh, I think it added to the, you know, making it a battle and it was versus for the name and we lost. Well, we really didn't lose. But uh, in, in in, in their own right, both bands are great, but they're totally different. You know, our Slayer was a high singer power metal band like Merciful Fate and Slayer was thrashed with Cookie Monster vocals. So we were just totally good at what we did. So but uh, um, I remember that show at the, at the Via Fontana. Yeah, it was splitting at the seams. I mean, literally people hanging off the balconies and uh, uh, it was a good show. We even this is funny, too, because 
I remember when they pulled up, you know, we were kind of like, how is it going to be? Are we going to be bros? Are we going to be like, hey, you know, is there going to be some drama or anything? Because, you know, Catlin said that Slago contacted us about Cease to I don't remember that. So I just remember that it kind of just went under the carpet on its own after they played the show and we we're like, whatever. But I remember Dave Lombardo pulling up and driving a, I believe it's like a blue Camaro with a U-Haul yellow, attached to it. Yellow Camaro. Yellow Camaro with that a, a U-Haul attached. Yeah, that was Remember? Tom's. Yeah, that was Tom's yellow Camaro. So and we helped him date? unload it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the date? What's the date of the show on there? I don't know. What does it say? Can you see it? I don't remember. Uh, well, uh, uh, Thursday, November 29th was the the Austin show. So Melissa, uh, November thirtieth. Yeah, yeah no, so it's November the next 30th. Night. So that's a Friday. So the night before, they were in Austin at the Ritz with Militia, with me and Mike. And I, I was at that one too. We helped them unload in Austin. They pulled yeah. up in a yellow Camaro, pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> and I think I introduced them one time too. They were just like, get up there. Is that the Ritz or something weird? And I was like, uh, it was strange. But we did the same thing. Yeah. They opened up the back and like, you know, they had their their gear and they had those real basic upside down crosses. It was like two, two by fours with floodlights. Yeah. I remember we set them in front of the ramp. It wasn't <laughs> like the big show now, but we set them up there and, you know, everybody was cool. Like, you know, how Cooper was, he was, you know, we oh, hugged yeah. each other and said, Hey, no yeah. big deal. Yeah. You know, you do your thing. We're doing our thing, you know, and Carrie had an attitude like he still does today, but you know, whatever. Well, Car- it's all Carrie's good. Carrie, that's a, he's not, he hadn't <laughs> changed a bit in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, he's he's always had that kind of you know. Whatever, I wanted but. to throw I wanted to throw something in here about it was never ver- Slayer versus Slayer by this fact here. Slayer did an in store at Hastings, and mm-hmm. it was the one that Bob Catlin was working at. That's right. So he's broing down with Slayer all day, and they're drinking Budweisers, and they're having a great fucking time, and then it's like the in stores kind of winding down and shit. And uh, and Catlin's, you know, kind of hanging with him and stuff. And like, mm-hmm. I don't remember which one it was. It might have been Hanneman. He goes, uh, so you know anything about this other Slayer that we're playing with tonight? And he goes, yeah, they're cool. And he goes, well, <laughs> <laughs> he goes, well, well, what do you mean they're cool? I mean, you're making it sound weird. He goes, well, I know they're cool because I'm in the band. <laughs> he goes, oh, well. <laughs> Oh, well then, God, and it just like everything like, like that had been sort of pre-thought drained away. So going into it, I think that it might, and like you're saying, it depends on who you talk to. It depends on the stories that you've read. Right. Um, But if you, if you, if you meet it from like the horse's mouth and you, and you get it like the way you're saying it or the way Catlin recalls it. Right. There was none of that going on. Everyone was laughing and having a great time. And like, yeah, Catlin said, tells stories about like, like how Hanneman after he had a few would like run and like tackle Catlin and like give oh, yeah. him cookies and stuff. And like, Hey, little buddy, you know, and it was like a, <laughs> it was like you guys knew each other your whole life. Yeah, every, everybody yeah. got shit shit house that night. I mean, uh, yeah, Hanneman would pick Bob up, you know. There's yeah. some pictures floating yeah. around of him and Catlin messing around. And, and it was kind of a cool vibe. We were just – it wasn't like how everybody made it, I think. You know, there was no, no. label deal. There was no 
you know, weird thing going on. It was just kind of, it was a cool concert. We had already moved on and they ended up being pretty cool. And we played our hearts out and they played their hearts out. And it was a good show. If you were there, you know, we had San Antonio support, but it was cool. I've I've run into, I've run into was on the bill. Militia is on the bill. Militia was on the bill. And, uh, uh, when it's Cyrus on the bill or yeah, it's on your shirt, dude. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't look down. <laughs> Let me see. It's backwards. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry no, about but it. anyway, I can uh, read your shirt for you. It's cool. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a cool show. I mean, it was, it was one of the best, even though it was probably our farewell adios. We went out with a bang, you know, and kind of, you know, now, hand, but I mean, I mean, it was fun. You know, they were cool guys and, uh, Within the band, I mean, outside of the band, there might have been stories, but within, between us both, it was, it was right. a cool show, and everybody I have, was cool. I have a question. Do you remember the cameo <clears throat> show? Would have been maybe your farewell show, like before this Slayer Slayer show, yeah. or was that after? At a at the cameo, that I mean, was I before. was there. I announced you guys. Yeah. Um, there's pictures of that floating around. You guys had a ram skull, and I was holding it on my head when I announced you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I thought yeah. that was before. That was I, at the I cameo think it was, before. I think it was before as well. And that yeah, was, I forgot about that. That was um, <laughs> that was the probably the best show I ever witnessed of you guys. That was a, that was a good one. It was yeah. so good. Uh, Slayer, Slayer just had that, you know. Well, you know, you lived it. You were in the Slayer family. Mm-hmm. Um the camaraderie besides, you know, writing music and being musicians, we were like real bros, you know? And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, when we got on stage, you know, we tried to, you know, make it the best and play our hearts out and stuff like that. So, so to be, so to be clear, you're the, the bigger, the more popular release by Slayer was prepare to die. And, you know, it was four songs. This is probably, I'm just going to say it flat out. This sounds kind of Hesher and very strange, but Don, this is this is my favorite time of Don Van Stavern. This is I love this so much because it it means something to me in my heart. You know, I'm I'm connected to this forever. Not to say that Go for the Throat wasn't as good as this. It's just different because it's Ronnie writing with you guys and playing with you guys and you just you guys just became better players all the way around of course better writers right um the production was probably even a little better on go for the throat yeah yeah. that's arguable anyway because some people like shit they like demo quality just because they're you know they just like how raw shit you know metal sounds great raw if it's done right you know anyway this is my favorite moment um Tell us a little bit about the, you know, the change between this record and Go for the Throat, which went down in a matter of like six months. Right. Well, you know, after, you know, earlier when I said we finally got the deal with Boss, we went over there. Remember that place off of Broadway where you guys Mm -hmm. recorded? Mm -hmm. Um, We ended up recording. It was with Art at the time, you know, and we we had a, a probably about, not a lot of original songs, but maybe like, you know, eight or something. And we had to pick the best one. So they ended up going with my songs, of course. Hey, yo. <laughs> well, me, me and Cooper wrote every song on that record. And, uh, on prepare. 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's all Cooper Van Stavern. Uh, I wrote all the music and he wrote the lyrics. Um, anyway, so we recorded that thing, and then Bob ended up getting like distribution deals, you know. And so it kind of got out there with like Dutchy, Cindy, and a couple other ones. So that's kind of what put it on the map because it got it kind of out there. And it mm-hmm. wasn't like a big deal, but at least it reached different places, you know, besides a, just San Antonio. A few hundred copies got thrown around. Right, right. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, we kind of, we were on the map a little bit doing that. Yeah. So, you know, and of course we had the big following in San Antonio and some of the other, you know, Texas cities and stuff like that. So uh, after that record, you know, we were, you know, we were full head of steam. We were like, well, let's get another one going. But at the time, you know, we were always trying, you know, we were, we were looking for maybe, you know, something, you know, something different, you know, and, and then Dave was suggesting maybe Ronnie, you know, as the guitar player, because, you know, back in the day, Ronnie was like our Eddie Van Halen dude. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the hot shot, kind of like Steve Cooper when we replaced Cronk with Steve Cooper. Cooper was, you know, he had the look. He looked like K.K. Downing. But, you know, we're like, dude, these bleaches his hair, man. You're hired. So, you know, he just had the rock look, you know, and he wore all the Halford shit. So anyway, when it came time, there was a couple little things going on between Dave and, and Art at the time. Okay. And so uh, remember all that stuff. There's a little bit of drama. And then. um you know, Dave was like looking for, you know, a replacement. And we knew Ronnie and Bobby because those guys were the known as the, you know, they were like the rush guys. They were all unreal at their instruments. So we asked Ronnie, we said, would you? And he, of course, heard of the band. And he said, yeah, he'd jump aboard. So he came aboard. And that's when we got a little bit more technical, I guess, not like yeah. Watchtower. But, you know, he kind of brought in the musicianship and we started playing some off time measures and the sound was a little bit different, you know, adding well, that was, factor to it. Was it. Even a, it was even more like Merciful Fate. Exactly. You know, even more new wave of British heavy metal, but with some like zigzag going on. Right. And then everybody brought some songs to the table in this one. I wrote yeah. you know, about five or yeah. six, but Catelyn wrote a couple and Ronnie wrote a couple. So they're, uh, they're great songs. I, I think it was a great uh, sort of like, you know step in the right direction as far as like productivity and like i said earlier that happened fast because yeah. as soon as it happened you guys broke up yeah it was weird it was like we released that and basically the whole boss studios thing is prepare to die he got it to the right hands the follow-up go for the throat it kind of like just sat there for a while that's why Remember, Chris Liebengut had to get the rights and put it out. You know, our friend yeah. from Germany that lives yeah. in L.A. But, yeah. you know, at the time, we're just like, what's going on here? And they weren't moving anything. They weren't getting a distributor. Things were brewing, you know. We were, you know, looking elsewhere at different things. We were getting little offers from here and there, you know. So we were like, you know, we don't want to be stagnant. You know, are you going to put this out or not? And basically, you know, it's shelved for how long? <laughs> yeah, for a while. Well. Yeah, for a while. And we, we ended up, you know, doing the whole thing. And I think uh, it 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 uh, came out, you know, after everything was said and done, you know, and then it was yeah. kind of like, you know, and now, you know, I mean, after the fact, you know, I, when I do, uh, you know, I'll do like the, the meet and greets overseas at the festivals and it'll slide across the table, prepare to die and go for the throat. Yeah. So they're getting it over there now because after the fact, now they understand what it is. Well, but, it's an uh, underground, um, it's an underground hero 
kind of a thing. Right? Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah. yeah, it's a little gem from way back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it came I, out. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, born, being born and raised in San Antonio, I remember S.A. Slayer. You guys mm-hmm. definitely carved out a spot in uh, Texas metal history, and I think anything that comes out of Texas sort of carries this mystique with it around the world. The, the world seems to be fascinated by things that come out of Texas, whether it's Stevie Ray Vaughan or ZZ Top or Pantera or whatever. And so you having a, a piece of that underground uh, metal history is I can I can totally see it. And I and you guys get asked, you know, Watchtower and in your various bands, Don, you, you guys get asked to go play these festivals in Germany to this day and play yeah. on, on ma- massive stages in front of thousands of people. So they are well aware of you. And, and you're definitely the pride and joy of San Antonio uh, as part of S.A. Slayer and some Thank of you. your other acts. Thank you, man. Um, awesome. I wanted to jump ahead to uh, Narita. Um, I have a, a friend of mine. You might even know him. His name is Wayne Stokely. He's a drummer out of the mm-hmm. Dallas area. Yeah. He's currently playing with uh, with Lillian Axe. And, mm-hmm. and and he he thinks that the Thunder Steel album that you did with Riot is one of the power metal masterpieces of all time. And I want to get to that in a minute. But he asked me to ask you if there were any unreleased uh, Narita demos that might one day see the light of day uh i get asked that a lot and they will see the light of day um we actually got as far as finding the tapes having them you know fixed and all that because the narita stuff was still on tape and two inch tape and you know real tape and stuff so we had to kind of like bounce it over but we have three of the tracks that were the most popular ones, which was Liar, it was a commercial one. The Feelings Gone was kind of commercial. And Thunder Still before Riot, because a lot of people don't know the Thunder Still record, Fight or Fall was Narita. Sign of the Crimson Star. I mean, these were stuff, you know, like we had written, like, you know, in Ricky's Garage, you know, some of the time, you know. So basically what happened was, and that's where, you know, when I said, you know, the whole Slayer thing where we started doing things, Mark Reale stepped in the picture. Um, you know, like Jason was saying, he was at Crocus with Ricky. Well, back in the day, um, they had the, you know, the labels have the street teams yeah. where they, uh, uh, they hire someone to go to the stations with the promos and hand out flyers and cards and whatnot. Well, Ricky was doing that for Crocus and he was doing it for Riot. So, you know, and we were playing Riot and, you know, Slayer. Like, I think we did Swords maybe and, and in the of band before you did, we did, you did hard loving man i think yeah. you guys did uh yeah so you know restless uh, breed maybe I don't, I don't know if we did restless but we we did some stuff you know from from the riot stuff yeah. from the uh, the the songs from the band so anyway um how it happened was um ricky you know mark would come down from new york to texas he liked texas because he was a jogger he liked the weather you know, he didn't like the New York thing. So he would come down to Texas and he had a couple friends here. Well, Ricky was a friend because of the street team. So Ricky would run him around, take him different places. So then Reality one day says, hey, I'd like to keep my chops up and maybe write some tunes, you know, a, a band here. You know, and he says, yeah, you know, there's a band that verses in my garage. <laughs> <They're called> Slayer. <laughs> that and, was easy. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So he was like, yeah, I got a band. So I remember they were going to bring him. And we were all excited. We're like, fuck, Mark Reale's coming. You're uh-huh. kidding. And this yeah. is awesome, you know, because I was a big fan before I joined the band. So I was like, this is going to be great. So, yeah, one day, you know, we're all sitting there. And then fucking Stunt walks in, Mark Reale. You know, that was one of his saying, Stunt. So he would walk in. He walked in, and there he was. And we were like, you know, last time I saw him was on, you know, an arena stage somewhere, you know. So it was cool. We got to know him, you know. And then I think the first one was a jam session. Like we played, you know, some riot songs, of course. And then uh, uh, we did some, he liked to play like Montrose and Free and stuff like that. I think we just rocked out and jammed. And then it got to a point where, you know, he asked me and Dave, hey, would y'all help me work on some tunes? It was for Riot at the time. And we were like, sure, you know, because I knew Mark way before I joined the band. We were friends, right, Jason? I mean, it was like we went to L.A. We went camping and big band sitting around a campfire with Mark playing acoustic. This is way before I got in Riot. He was just like we went to L.A. for a while. Um you know, uh, we went out there, we went to Universal Studios, rode rides together. I mean, this is like me, Dave, and Mark, and Ricky went out there sometimes. Sometimes we drove out there. We drove out in Dave's mom's big brown Cadillac all the way out there. And we had a friend that lived out there, and she let us crash on the floor. But this was reality. So we, we were really good friends, and we would do things. We would hang out on a daily basis once we got to know him. And then, uh, yeah, he asked me and Dave, hey, would you like to demo some tunes? I have some tunes, but what I want to do is see what they sound like. So I remember, you know, uh, this was a little after Rhett was already in the band. We, we demoed uh, uh, Born in America stuff. We, I actually have tapes of me, Dave, Steve Cooper. It's the Narita lineup and Mark doing, um, uh, what was it, uh, Gunfighter, uh, Heavy Metal Machine, um, what else did we do? Running from the law, you know, mm-hmm. and a couple others that didn't make the record. So we played those. And what he did was he took the cassette tape up to New York and gave it copies to the guys and said, Hey, here's my tunes, basically demos, but it was us performing on them, which is kind of cool, you know? So, and I actually helped write a few songs that I didn't get credit for because I was young, you know, whatever, but I helped write a couple of parts in heavy metal machine and stuff like that. But, uh, that's kind of like where uh, that started. And then Mark was like, hey, how about we write some of our own stuff? And it was like, you know, we were like, OK, you know, so we sat in there and we ended up, you know, wherever we were at, hotel room or there. We started writing our own music and he felt like he wanted to do the Mark Reale project. We were like, all right. So that's what it was first called. And we were trying to come up with names, you know, and and uh, we were, you know, we were like best of friends at that point. And uh, he even played shows with us. Remember, was it at Houston? He got on stage with us and we did Jason at the, was it the, the, did the Hellstar show? Was it that uh, Consolidated, Consolidated, Consolidated Arts Warehouse with Hellstar and Watchtower? I think that might've been where Mark yeah. jumped on stage and we did Swords and Tequila. So yeah. like we were really, you know, friends with the guy. So we wrote songs and uh, we started playing shows. And of course I came up with a name because, you know, Mark Reale project. And then he had a couple other names. They were kind of stunt. And I was like, ah, 
you know. Narita said, is perfect because it lets you know kind of what it is since, you know, the riot record. So that's what that's what I was going for. I told yeah. Mark, I said, hey, well, you know what? How about Narita? Because then it's, you know, people know, you know, what that kind of is, you know, yeah. no one knew it was an airport in Japan at this point. It was but just if you're a like, riot fan, you know, if you're a riot right. fan, you know what the hell it is you're seeing. Right. So yeah. that, then that ended, you know, ended up becoming a band. And we wrote all these songs and we started playing like we would open up with Fight or Fall, which, you know, ended up on the Thunderstill record. So a lot of this stuff was Narita stuff. So when we ended up moving back to New York and doing the whole nine yards, you know, that's that's where it came from. But uh, at first we and we did shows, you know, we played with loudness. We did some loudness shows. Remember those and Corpus and we opened for them, of course. And, uh, you know, and then we did some cameo shows. And uh, we did the rock and wrestling at the reunion arena and at the Freeman Coliseum. You know, I mean, there were big wrestling things, but Narita played. So, you know, the band was out there. And then Mark shopped it with the riot management in New York. Here's, you know, you know, and they shopped and shopped. And I think they took one of the tracks and remixed it and stuff. But to no avail, you know, and so Mark was kind of like, you know, still doing riot. And he was like, hey, the guys, you know, are talking about, you know, I got to get back because, you know, it was the whole thing where Riot was kind of on hiatus, remember, with you know, they got rid of Rick Ventura. They got Gerard for a little bit mm-hmm. on the Born in America tour. Who is San then, Antonio. Let's talk about him. He's a San Antonio guy, right? Yeah. It's Gerard Trevino, GT. Yeah. Uh, he toured with the band because, you know, Rick, who was on, you know, most of the records, uh, he left and they got Gerard in the band and Mark knew him, you know, from a cover band here in San Antonio. And I knew yeah. Gerard. I yeah. played with Gerard in, 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 in a local band too. Um, so he ended up just doing the tour, you know, he was never recorded or anything. He just filled in for Rick on the tour. And this so, is born in America. Yeah. The born in America tour. Okay. And I think it was the one with rainbow, uh, Vandenberg maybe. And, uh, cool. so, uh, what ended up, or it could have been the kiss one. I remember a, a bill that was Rainbow, Saxon, and Riot. Yeah, and then maybe the other one was was Kiss, Vandenberg, and Riot, possibly. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. It yeah. was one. It was one of those. So that's when the band started, you know, having problems, you know, uh, internal problems, and with management and stuff like that. So they went on hiatus for that whole thing. I think Mark was trying to to do something. You know, that's why he was trying to do this Narita thing and get a deal. The, the riot management even came down to one of the cameo shows, Steve Loeb, who produced every riot record, you know, before, you know, he was replaced, but he did the classic fire down under record, all of them. He came down and he saw some shows and he liked what he saw. So he shopped, but we weren't getting anything. So during that time, Sandy Slavin, the drummer who relocated to the West coast, he wasn't in New York anymore. He got married and he moved to Burbank, California. So he was hounding Mark. Hey, Let's get right back together. Let's get back out there. So it was kind of the continuation of Born in America to play some shows and maybe start doing something new. And uh, so Mark, you know, I remember Mark told us, he says, hey, you know, Steve and them got the demos. They're going to try to get it. I'm flying out. We're going to like rehearse and we're going to like do some riot shows and, you know, try to get another deal and get riot back on the map. Cool. So Mark leaves and uh uh, he has out west, you know, where all the the members were going to be, and uh, I think we're standing. You remember the Narita house? Speaking of Narita, the the no, one way over there. I don't. Uh, 
It's where uh, Cooper lived, me, my brother Bo, and okay. Mark. You we know, honestly, I don't think I ever ever went over there. I I knew yeah. of the infamous Narita house. Yeah, it was it was basically my brother uh, had a house, and and it was like Ricky's mom. He's putting up, you know, four yeah. fucking deadbeat musicians, bunch of sofa you know? surfing going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sleeping so, under the pool table tonight. I got the couch. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, full on. So we were at that place, and Reality was there for a while. Anyway, so he took off. You know, he went out there, and we continued on doing our thing. Dave was talking to Neil Turbin at the time from Anthrax. They ended up doing that Turbin band, and mm -hmm. then he was playing with Ross Robinson with Detente mm -hmm. or whatever Detente, and then he was doing a few things, and then. You know, I got the infamous phone call, you know, on a, on a real phone with a cord, <laughs> not a cell phone, you Look, know, hey, a wall, wired ago. to a telephone pole. That's why they're called telephone poles. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I got the infamous call. Um, Mark, you know, Hey, it's Mark's on the phone. Hey, what's up stunt? What are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? Chilling out at the crib. What's up? He goes, Hey, I'm out here. We're doing uh, the riot thing. And Kip Lemming, the original cat, that played on, you know, a few records. Bass player, right. Yeah, doesn't want to do it. I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. You know, here I am just like, you know, wow, Kip's not going to do it? Dude, that sucks, man. What are y'all going to do? Well, that's why I'm calling. I'm Duh. like, well, what's up? <laughs> you know, yeah, I was dumb. I'm a Riot uh, fan, you know? Yeah, well, you what are y'all going to do? You're not putting that into the fishbowl. You're going, dude, oh, bummer. So you guys going to get something from New York, some dude, you know? And right, I'm like... Right. Mark's like, stunt, you idiot. I'm calling to see what you're doing. And I'm like, what's up? He goes, uh, well, you want to fly out here and scope it out? And I was like, heart sank, of course. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. To play in Riot? And he said, yeah. He goes, I've been writing music with you and playing with you, you know? So you're the easy choice, you know? And I'm like. Hurry up, dummy. Right. Yeah, so basically, yeah. And then. I packed up my bags and moved to Beverly Hills, that it yeah. is. No. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I packed it Lemon up. Lemon pools. Yeah. <laughs> Movie stars. No. So anyway, so I was like, cool. And that's when the demise of Dave McClain and Don Van Steven really – remember me and Dave were brothers yeah. and we played in every band together. Yeah, Thick as Thieves. Yeah. Thick as Thieves, you know. We ended up – that's when it kind of went because they didn't need a drummer. It was Sandy Slavin, you know. It was the original lineup, you know, besides me. It was – Mm -hmm. Rent Forrester, uh, it was kind of a four-piece when we went down there. So anyway, mm -hmm. I ended up moving out there. So I cruised out there, and uh, I stayed with Sandy. It was weird. Me and Mark were living with Sandy. He got married to a lady named Mimi, and they uh, they had a little house in Burbank. So it was coat, I, that was coat he, on chest. He's still <laughs> coat, coat on chest. Hold on, we have to we have to talk about code on chest. That's where code on chest started. Well, tell us about code on chest right now. What the fuck, Don? What is code on chest? And then you say, yeah, yeah, code on chest. Well, you know, uh, when we this moved is, out to this is infamous from the Bobby Jarzombek talk louder episode. Code oh on yeah, chest. yeah. Well, code on chest started like early on when we went to Sandy's place. It was a smaller house, and. Uh, you know, basically, we were sleeping on either a couch and a couple guys on the floor, and there was no blankets. So the leather jacket came off the body, and we put it over us. Code so, on chest. Hence, code on chest. And we've kept that saying, <laughs> we'll be at an airport. Code on chest when we're laying, waiting for the next flighter. That, that's where code on chest from, came from. <laughs> so, uh, so it's like, it's like you know, one, one guy's in the pisser or something, and he, the other guy's washing his hands. What are you yeah. going to do? Our, our flight leaves. We got a three-hour layover. 
Uh, probably coat on chest. Coat on chest. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I get it. I get yeah. it. I get it, was, it. it was it was it was coat on chest was a blanket when you know when you were right. that I get so it. that's where it came from when so so when sandy slavin is still is still in california i recently watched uh a podcast it's it's kind of a podcast kate and depenya from hyrax had sandy on his on his podcast oh yeah yeah, yeah. book live and i watched a about a half hour of that and it, it was the audio was pretty bad so i couldn't really tell what was going on but i uh, uh it was uh, I, it was awesome to just see Sandy alive and he looks you know he looked healthy and he sounded great and they talked he mentioned about me too it was awesome you gotta love that <laughs> I don't know if that was good or not but yeah, well I didn't I don't know, I know if I I was waiting for him to mention you actually I, I, I'm writing uh, I'll write my book one day and I'll and I'll bring out the truth of everything with the Sandy Slavin situation okay. I mean well it's, I love you know it's, it's no it's no hard feelings I love the guy yeah. you know he was a part of riot so he's an yeah. awesome guy but yeah. i think with age maybe his memory is getting a little weird but what well, happened was minus, is, is, minus two yeah minus two so you know we went out there and you know we i lived with him for i guess we stayed there like maybe a month if not more and we were rehearsing out there at sir you know the sir rehearsal studios mm-hmm. uh we were rehearsing out there and we we're getting it together and uh uh we ended up recording you know a couple things Crimson Storm, which we brought from Narita mm-hmm. out there. That's why you hear demos of uh, Rhett Forrester singing it live. You know, when we were at the Troubadour or we uh, had labels come out, Rhett Forrester singing Sign of the Crimson Storm, which is strange, but that's how all that song goes back. But anyway, so when I went out there, Rhett was doing a solo record and playing with Jack Starr, that Out of the Darkness record. Mm-hmm. So he can't join right away. And Sandy was real like, dude, we just need to go forward. So they were like, we need a singer. We need audition guys here. Couldn't find anybody. Then they said, DVS, you know anybody? And I said, I had my vinyl collection. You know, I had tons of vinyl, like we all collect back in the day. And I'm thinking, who do we, you know, I got to get someone good. You know, you're talking about Rep Forrester. Yeah. And then uh, I came up across the Jag Panzer record ample destruction and i was flipping through them literally and you know i was like the tyrant you know maybe this guy and i listened to him i said he's heavy but he's got a voice you know i played it to mark and he said yeah this guy's not bad you know see what he's got so i remember harry harry conklin he sent me some demos he did of more commercial stuff with jag panzer and we heard it and we liked it so we flew him out and he came from colorado springs to burbank and stayed at sandy's place coat on chest and so we had the tyrant in the band and, uh, you know, Harry was out there. So we rehearsed with the tyrant and it was, this is funny. When I first called him, like our mutual friend, remember Liliana? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she got the way for me to get in touch with the guy, right? Like this was back in the day when Liliana knew a lot of people mm-hmm. and, uh, she got a phone number of him, Right. So here I am not knowing his real name. So I asked for the tyrant and like some lady answers the phone, like his mom, she's like, hello. I'm like, yes. Can I speak to the tyrant? She's like, excuse me. Um, the tyrant, the singer. Oh, Harry. You know, and then I come over and I'm like, your name's Harry. So anyway, so Harry Conklin, you know, joined, he came out and we did a few shows with him. I dug him cause I liked the, that kind of vibe. Sandy didn't like him. Um, Sandy was like, I don't like him. He's he's a a a metal singer who can sing melodic rock as well. Yeah. And Sandy, Sandy didn't like him, you know, and he's going, well, he's good for the shows, but 
he didn't like him. So Sandy wanted to get rid of him. And I was like, oh, man, he's like my friend, you know. So I remember sitting at Sandy's dining room table and I didn't want to go in there. And Sandy's like, no, we all sit around the table. And I remember we we're all sitting around the table. And this is a four piece still. We didn't have a, a Rick Ventura GT right now. It was just right. me, Sandy and Mark and then a singer. So, uh, you know, I remember sitting there and, and Sandy's just like, hey, dude, you know, you're a great guy, great person. But. You know, we're just not into it or whatnot. And I was kind of bummed. But anyway, so that's when he went by the wayside. And then Rhett Forrester comes in. Rhett's ready. You know, he's done. So he flies in. Rhett stays at Sandy. Coat on chest. Rhett Forrester. So Rhett comes down. And we rehearse a couple times. And, you know, uh, we play shows again. You know, and I'm getting to play with Rhett Forrester. Here I am with the the kind yeah. of, you know, one of the, the early formations of Riot, which I was like, Wow. So anyway, so we played shows and Sandy's wife at the time, she knew Gina Zamparelli. I don't know if you knew her. Did you, Jason? She's that, a big L.A. promoter. Yeah, I know that name. Yeah, she did pr promotion. So she booked us at we played at the Roxy. Mm -hmm. um, we played uh, Perkins Palace, uh, mm -hmm. all that old stuff. Remember that we mm -hmm. played there and had label people come out. And I mean, there's YouTube. Uh, For our listeners, what year is this? Oh my God! This has got to be eighty-four, five. God. Really, really Some, that early? God, because... or five or six, maybe? Because because the shows that were put out were eighty-six, but I joined the band like before that, so it might have been eighty, late eighty-four, eighty-five. Because I know we were doing some stuff still here. Oh, that's right. After that's right. God, that's because here you go. That Slayer Slayer show. Yeah, it was November thirtieth. Like your shirt, November yeah. thirtieth. Well, we were we were already four. Yeah, we so were already eight, doing Narita though. Remember so that was so so eighty five. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, we, we, okay. We were we were doing Narita. That's why we had all moved on to separate things, you know. Right. And we got back together for that show. So anyway, you're in, you're in Southern California. You're playing shows, and basically you're in fucking riot. I'm in the riot that I watched, yeah. you know, yeah. and so uh, we played all these shows to labels and we recorded a couple things and we shopped and shopped to no avail. We could not get a record deal. We played everywhere. Right. And so, uh, you know, everybody was getting kind of disillusioned and stuff. And then me and Mark were talking, you know, Mark's like, well, let's do some demos and, you know, maybe get Steve back involved. And you know, the whole Steve story from the bio, you know, a lot of people weren't happy with him, but, Mark was like, you know, he created us. Maybe he can help the next thing. So we, while we were down there, we were recording demos. And at that time, we basically got kicked out of Sandy's house. Sandy and his wife had enough. They were like, you guys got to go. And so I remember Sandy driving us to the Sunset Strip. True story. Corky no can, coat on chest. Yeah. Corky <laughs> can back me up on this because at the time, Corky, my bass tech, who's taken for me for many, many years, Flew out there when we did our riot shows in Tech Force then. So anyway, he was part of Code on Chess crew. But Sandy goes, hey, it's easy. I'm dropping you all off on the strip. Get lucky. Move somewhere else. Go, right? And it was that simple, dude. It was like he basically threw us out. So it was funny. But we had friends in L.A. We had these two chicks that had a place off of Sunset in Larrabee. The Larrabee Estates, which was a block away from the strip. Right by the Cat Club or Cat House. Anyway, so we lived there. And we were kind of coat on chest there. These, these girls had a, a couple bedrooms and I lived there. Rhett, Mark lived there. Corky lived there. 
you know, we had all these people, you know, sleeping on the floor and, you know, basically living out there now. We were living, but we weren't doing a lot of playing. We were Sandy's gambling. Sandy's still stuff. your drummer at this moment. Sandy is okay. still the drummer right. right now. We're just not living with him. Right. So uh, Sandy, you know, he was he was always one of those kind of guys. You know, I don't want to rag the guy, but he was one of the guys that were kind of, he was cool, but kind of, I don't know. He's kind of a grumpy, grumpy muffin sometimes. So anyway, we recorded some demos and we gave him some Narita stuff. I think we gave him like Thunderstill. And then he heard it and he was like, what the hell is this crap? And we're going like heavy metal. You know, there's new bands like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and there's people coming out and they're popular now. Riot needs a fire down under on steroids. And Sandy's like, I don't like it, you know. So he played drums on his shuffle beats on a couple of the tunes and it just wasn't working. And so he didn't like the direction. And so we said, well, we're going to go back to New York after all that. He had called Steve. Steve said, come back. We'll do something. So when basically, you Steve, you mean management, Steve Loeb, Steve Loeb, right? The manager. Um, so we ended up uh, moving back to where it all started in uh, New York City. And uh, Sandy, you know, was like, well, I live here now. So, you know, I'm not really into the music. So I don't know if I'm going to continue this. And we were like, well, all right, whatever. So basically, he's like, good luck, guys. And it, it left really cool. Like, he was just like, this is not for me. He's a rock and roll drummer. You well, know? at least he was honest with you. I mean, he people was. don't understand. I mean, you can't he get was. butt hurt if someone's telling you the truth and how their heart feels. Yeah, no, he was being cool at first. At first. Yep. Uh, and then uh, we... Underlying we at first. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 that that wasn't the end of it. We we packed it up and uh, we moved to New York again. And so Rhett was actually aboard. So we were going to have Rhett. And then Rhett was singing. He sang Crimson Storm and it sounded great. That kind of stuff. But when it got to the, you know, the, the Hofferty stuff that was you power, know, heavy. Power metal. Power metal. Yeah. He was very cool. And he was like, yeah, you know, DVS, I, this, this, ain't, this ain't me, brother. He's like, uh, you know, more power to you, but I'm going to do some other stuff, you know? And I was like, dude, you know, I love you because me and Rhett were roommates when, you know, he lived with me for a while. Rhett lived with me and we worked together. Me and Rhett did telemarketing. I don't know if you remember all that crap. We did telemarketing back in the day and uh, Rhett lived with me and we stayed together sometimes, you know, um, in in a hotel room. We were roommates and it was a bummer. And he was like, it's just not for me. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do another solo record. We said, okay. And um, so basically it was me and Mark back to New York City mm-hmm. with no no other guys. And that's kind of when the thunder still started coming to head. You know, it was, um, Steve was like, well, we need to get some demos, you know. And Steve also suggested, Steve Loeb, why don't you use some of your Narita stuff, you know, so you already have songs written. So that's where all the Narita stuff came into play. And uh, we recorded demos and um, we had to start filling a band. And uh, one of the engineers, uh, the studio manager engineer, Dave Harrington, um, he suggested a friend that he has, this guy, Tony Morabito. He was in a cover band and he played bass and uh, he sang real high voice. So we were like, okay. And we saw pictures of him at first and he had his, you know, long beard and he, he didn't, you know, we were like, oh, he didn't look, you know, back in the day, the beards weren't in, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, uh, uh, 
Mark was like, well, let's see what he sounds like. So they pulled up original riot fire down under two inch and slid guy Speranza out and put Tony Moore in there. Wow. And it was crazy. Right. And they recorded it. And then they call me and Mark down and I was staying with Mark at the time. Um, he had already moved. I'd stayed with him in Brooklyn, but his family moved out to Long Island. So I was living in the basement of his parents' house on Long Island. And so we drove into the city and we sat there and listened and we were like blown away by the guy. You know, he was, he had a good, uh, he had a, a guy brands a kind of timber high, but he had more swagger like Paul Rogers. You know, he could have that bluesy kind of vibe. So yeah. Mark loved him. And so we said, cool, here's some original new stuff you know, of, of, of what we're doing, you know? And so he sang on that wing on wings of Eagles and, uh, he sang on crimson and we were blown away on it. And, uh, so then we needed a drummer. So Enter one Bobby Jarzombek. Not yet. Oh, damn. Damn. Not yet. I'm getting excited. I know. Not yet. Keep DBS. talking, daddy. <laughs> Keep telling DBS. us the story, daddy. <laughs> DVS. Do you know any drummers? Hang on a second. Vinyl collection. Oh, shit. Same thing. It's like, a, roll, it's like a Rolodex. Who could, who could play drums to this stuff? You know, like Dave McLean did, you know. Steeler? Mark Edwards? You know, he's got Ingve Malmsteen. Okay, let me check it out. Flip it over. Mark Edwards. Mark Edwards. It was, you know, I, that, that Steeler record, you know, with Keel and... I love that Ingve. record. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I uh, got it and I said, well, I listened to it and I said, well... The guy might be able to do it. Got his number. Called him. Mark Edwards. We had a real long Greek name, but, you know, he went by Mark Edwards, his middle name. Anyway, so I called him and said, who we are? You ever heard of Ride? He goes, of course. Uh, we need a drummer, and we're looking for a drummer. He was like, uh, he was recording with a band called Lion at mm -hmm. the time with Cal Swan and them, and they were on Scotty Brothers. So he said, well, I'm doing, you know, Lion. And he said, but I might be able to come up. And we said, well, we'll send you four songs and then fly up. We'll fly up to New York and uh, you can cut them. He said, fine. So I ended up getting his info and we flew him up and there's Mark Edwards. So Mark Edwards, if you look on Thunderstill in the back, there's four tracks. Mark Edwards played on Thunderstill. Oh, I'm sorry, not Thunderstill. He played on Blood Streets, okay. the video one. He played on, uh, on Wings of Eagles, uh, Crimson Storm and Fight or Fall. Those are Mark Edwards, and wow. it says it on the back. So he came up and cut those, and we we're like killer. And it, they sounded good, you know. They were kind of basic double bass drums. They weren't like crazy Jarzombic stuff. Right. So we were like cool. So we got those, and uh, you know, the guy was real okay. I'm done. Where's my money? And we're like, Oof. oh, boom. Here's your money. All right. And so he goes, I got to go back and do some stuff. Well, we'll call you when we're going to record the rest of it, we're shopping these for demos. He moves back, goes back out to LA where he was at. And so time comes, we're starting to get interest from the demos. Hey, Mark, you need to come up and finish it. I'm not going to come back. Ah, what happened? We're doing Scotty brothers with lion. You know, they thought it was going to be a big thing. We we're like, Oh dude. So they talked to him and we tried to work with the guy and we ended up we just couldn't use them anymore. Right. And they're when we're all sitting there going, dude, we're right in the middle of recording. Labels are already around and we have to audition people. I said, we don't have to audition nobody. <laughs> Basically, that's how it was. I told right. Mark, I said, 
Remember that guy, Ronnie Jarzombek, that crazy wizard guy, you know, fucking on the guitar. He was like, oh, yeah. I go, well, his brother's like that on the drums. I go, he's I use phenomenal. That same, I used that same thing for years. You know, Ron, you know, it's, you should hear his brother because it's like, imagine Ron on drums. drums. That's the same. Yeah. The that's, same a, that, yeah. that's exactly it. So what ended up happening was... Uh, you know, they told me like Steve Loeb and them and the producer, Rod Way, he was like, well, dude, we don't really got time. Can he, you know, can he send us a quick picture? No internet, can't email. Can he send us a quick photograph and this and that and a lot of, you know, and I was like, dude, I'll put my reputation on the line. If he decides to come up, fly him up. You guys will love him. And cause you know, we knew how good he was. Oh yeah. So anyway, I called Bobby and I guess he was doing juggernaut kind of at the time a little bit and some other stuff. I said, Hey, you want to do riot? You know, his infamous call. And he said, wow, really? Said, yeah, man. You know, you jam with us and move up here. And you know how the Jarzomek was already real laid back, back in the day country guys. So this would be Bobby's first trip to like New York city, getting thrown into the fire. Never so, been anywhere yet. Right. No, hadn't been nowhere yet. So they end up going, all right, fly him up. And they flew him up and, uh, they got him a drum set. I remember when he joined the band, him getting a brand new in plastic bags drum set. Like when I joined, when I moved back to, uh, to New York, when we went back there, I remember going and getting Marshall bass stacks and everything. They were hooking us up. So Bobby got a drum set. He set it up and then he knew the songs I gave him to him and he played. And of course they were just kind of like, Holy mother of God. They were like, you're right. He is incredible. And no audition. Thought, already knew the songs from the demos. Yep. Better Came, than you expected. Oh boy. Hail Bobby Jarzombek. Yes, hail Bobby Jarzombek. And George Strait. <laughs> <laughs> All in one sentence. I was gonna I was gonna call George back then to do some backups, but he wasn't around yet. <laughs> no. no. So when, this, when's this Riot, is before George. <laughs> when's when's Riot gonna gonna do a, a show with George Strait and have Bobby guest on Thundersteel material? We're we're working on it. We're oh. working on it. <laughs> I want a t I want a t shirt. Yeah. Yeah, so George I, Strait I mean, support Riot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Special guest Bobby Jarzombe. Oh, I know he, straight band, right? That that's insane. When he when he told me what the what the gig was, it was funny. But uh, fucking awesome. I'm I mean, you know, that's basically where it started. Bobby came up, and you know, and he looked good. He had you know the long blonde hair, and he played great. And it was just kind. Of, they got a kick out of him too, because you know how Bobby is. He's real laid yeah. back, and they were just like you know. So Bobby finished the rest of the record, and then uh, they shopped, and we ended up getting a deal with CBS, the Associated CBS. And then, um, what year is this? 87 ish, because the record came out in 88. So right. when we finally finished it, um, we got the deal and then we recorded that video. We did blood streets and we, I remember that was our first, our first like big, you know, the MTV kind of played us a little bit, not like dangerous toys or anything, but that was our one headbangers. Fuck those guys. <laughs> I mean, they had played, they played born in America with Rhett Forrester. I remember all that, but for, for this, for this lineup anyway, yeah, it was cool. It was our first video. They blocked off a street in in Greenwich village and we were on a roof and we had a uh, Scott Calvert who directed basketball diaries. Um, oh, cool. He was the guy that directed the video. So we were kind of like, wow, killer. So he did that video and that's where it kind of launched, you know, then that yeah. was the thunder still lineup was born. Thunder still came out. People were like, this is riot. 
you know, what the hell? This is a fucking, you know, fucking yeah. 180. And so uh, riots is, has gone through changes. Like when Rhett Forrester first joined, I remember when, because I knew Mark during the Guy Speranza era, and I remember the cassette tape of Hard Love and Man from, I think the band was called Rachel. And it was their guitar player song. That Riot didn't write Hard Love and Man. That oh. was Rhett's audition wow. tape. Oh, so, okay. So, yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, he played me Rhett Forrester. Are oh, you ready to rock? You know, and yeah. I was like, whoa, you know, I don't see this guy Speranza thing. So, and a lot of people thought the same thing like me. They're like, whoa, this is too weird for Riot. But eventually they wrote good songs, went on tours and everybody like. I saw Restless Breed tour and I loved it. And I, I love I loved the record. It's a great, I know Metal Dave. Great. I love that he, record. He oh, has yeah. a hard time grabbing between, you know, Fire Down Under and, and Restless Breed. Yeah. Restless Bleed is a, right, it's a hard choice that's a yeah a weird pivotal moment for the band so so going to just jumping in here so you can catch your breath a little bit the the thundersteel thing once again is much like when you think about fire down under to restless breed this is like okay narita you're in la you're in new york you're reforming the band the the nucleus is there it's mark it's all about right mark. right and you're the new sort of like you're the fire down under. <laughs> you're the, right. You're the spark that's keeping Mark going. You're you're holding yeah. up Mark, and it's da 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 da. So you got this thing. It's eighty eight ish. Uh, when people hear this, I have to be honest. I'm one of those people. Like what? It didn't. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. It's not riot to me. Right. And, I'm, and I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever. No, absolutely. I know where you're coming from. Like, yeah, of course. And you have the same feelings, I'm sure. sure. Right, right. That, this is a di different style of riot. It's the name because of Mark go, Reality, but it's different. Yeah, when you go Narita, Rock City, Fire Down Under, and then whoa, what? You yeah. Know, it turns into that. Now, you know me. I love Priest and Merciful Fate and and classic power metal and right. old maiden and and I, I you know and the motorhead and the new wave of british heavy metal and then the early thrash bands big four right. exodus testament and that's where my metal mind really and of course raven and like i said of new course. wave of british heavy metal right so yeah, yeah when you hear this i'm going this is kick ass this is freaking me out but it says riot on the cover right so i know why you keep the band riot because of the story you just told yeah and well, i understand and it and i do understand it there, but it's, there's, it's there's so some, very very different it's it's very different um and when we moved forward i knew it didn't sound like riot but you know of course business and a brand you know when you start talking to management they're like well riot you know if you look at the old circus magazines you know uh, thunder to put your mother under this is the fire down you know they yeah. were trying to recreate this is like you know fire down under you know on fucking steroids or something so basically that's what it was i mean the live shows we still incorporated the old stuff you know but we yeah. had this and it was hard for you know america to deal with this now it's great you know we have a following you know, it's, it's awesome. But our forte now, of course, is overseas. Now yes. we play pretty much all, you know, my era forward. We throw in, you know, some of the, we had to cut swords and decay out of a list one time. I looked at fucking Mike Flint. I said, 
we're scratching swords and tequila out of the set list because we play it and the crowd just kind of standing there and then we go into flight of the warrior you know and the crowd erupts you know and there's a pit so i'm yeah. going like oh. so it's different when people go like well fired on is the big one you're not right i'm going well no if you go over to europe it's a different story like the uh. europeans appreciate the power metal more than yes of course they stuff. do of yeah. course they do you know how they are let me, let me throw a, a curveball at you what was the very first european festival you ever played give us a time a place name a festival what year it was uh that would Not have been riot. i'm sure i'm guessing it was with riot it was a a, a version of th the thundersteel lineup possibly yeah we we uh well when we we first got together uh they were booking the shows, you know, we did some US small stuff. And then, you know, we started like, uh, once Thunder still came out, and this is another thing, this kind of led to the popularity in Europe, because we came, you know, everybody's big in Japan, so to say, but I mean, Riot was extremely huge, right? So when the record came out, Japan was the first one, it wasn't a festival, but they were the first place to invite us to go okay. over there. Okay. So Mr. Udo, who was the big guy that brought like Michael Jackson, all these crazy guys, mm -hmm. He brought us over there and it was like Beatlemania and we, me and Bobby J were going, is there a wedding going on or is there, is there like a celebration going on? And the guy opens the, the, you know, the van door and goes, dude, it's for you. Stay put. We're getting security. And we're just, and then we start flipping out and they literally walk us arm in arm into this fucking hotel. I don't know. I think this Bobby told the story. This solidifies Bobby's, uh, oh my God. Uh, recollection as well. Oh, it, it was, was crazy. It was Beatlemania for you guys. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was crazy. And it was the first time Riot went over to, like, Japan. You know, they had done, like, Monsters of Rock, and they did uh, the yeah. festival over there. Let me, you know, let me ask you this. But this this will uh, line up with what Bobby said as well, if if I expect the right answer. I expect a certain answer here, Don. You're under pressure here. So listen here. <laughs> Now, Bobby says that Thundersteel had already been out for a while. Mm -hmm. How long had Thundersteel been out? One year. This okay, it had already been out a year before. Well, it, it might have been a little. It might have been a little less than a year. Um, okay. We Thundersteel was eighty-eight. The tour was eighty-nine of Japan, okay. Okay. and it was like I said, CBS Records, Sony, CBS Sony Records were owned in Japan, like the Black Rock in New York. There was one in, uh, you know, up in, up in uh, Japan and Tokyo. So we went to the label up there. They invited us because it's CBS. And they were like, dude, Riot's got to come here. And like the hotel on the, the, on the, uh, the, the record label building, they had our names written on there. Welcome to Japan, Riot. We go up there and we meet all the, the Japanese reps and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. they give us gifts and CDs of catalogs and, and, you know, Disman back in the day. They gave us all these gifts. And we go to the hotel and we're staying, you know, we were living large at that point. You know, it was like we were like freaking out that, wow, the band is doing great here. And it was more... They never got asked on the older stuff. So we had to represent all of Riot. And yeah. so basically we played the Japan tour, huge places, sold out three nights in a row. Emza Hall, it was ridiculous. And we're the only act, no opening act. And we would play most of the stuff from Thunderstill because that was what they were relating to then. And then we threw in some of the other stuff, you know, and now, you know, that the internet's around everybody's familiar with everything with the band yeah. but back then you know it was kind of like 
you know, they were filling that record and we did, you know, we mixed it with some other stuff, but we were focusing on that. And that's kind of how we got the real big, uh, you know, the, the, the push from the label. Cause the Japan thing was just insane. So that was our first thunderstill where we played. It wasn't a festival, but that was our first dates like overseas and seeing how big this thing could possibly get. So then we were feeling better about it because it was a chance. Like you said, we were like, this riot is either going to thrive or it's going to die because people are going, this ain't riot. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. And so we ended up going, well, apparently it can thrive. So we, uh, you know, we came back and we, we continued on with this. We did some U.S. states and, and stuff like that. And then we decided to, you know, second record, you know, we ended up doing the Privilege of Power, which was a little bit more experimental record. We put horns on there with Tower of Power horns and uh, Blood, Sweat and Tear guys, the Brecker Brothers. We had uh, Flavor do a Scratch. We had James Blood Ulmer. Wow. We had Jolyn Turner sing on it. Yeah. He did a duet with Tony Moore on the song mm-hmm. Killer. Um, so we did that and that went huge in Japan too. You know, it's like we had that following. So there's the the deep purple tree right there. Yeah. A couple of times over. uh, Yeah, actually. So is it, is it fair to say, because my, my buddy Wayne was going to ask, he wanted to ask this question, you know, like we've been talking about here, Thundersteel was an obvious sort of shift in direction for riot as far as the sound and that sort of thing. But as I'm listening to you tell the story, I'm not so sure that it was, necessarily a sit down conscious decision is so much as it was maybe an extension of what Narita had going on. Is that. It it was, it was an extension of kind of like the Narita music and vibe because, you know, when me and Mark sat down and started writing music, Mark was, you know, he was a great player and he started getting into, you know, the big players. He would like copy the Judas Priest, he would play Ingve stuff. Whereas like, you know, back in the day, the rockers, like Rick Ventura and them, they were strict like rockers. You know what I mean? They were, you know, full on bluesy guitar players. Mark evolved into that. I mean, you listen to the solos on Thunder still, it's sick. You know, the guy turned into one of those speed players and he was great. So he kept, he kept digging that and he wanted to do that. So, and Mark was always like, I'm right, you know, cause Basically, Mark was the only original member from the early, early days Yeah, when it was Mark and Guy and Peter Bitelli on drums and Phil Fight, who was the actual original guy before the Rock City lineup came in. I've met all those guys. I know the whole Riot family. I've had dinner with Phil Fight and Rick Venture when I was just a fan on Thanksgiving. And Phil went on to play. He's the guy that did the iconic bass solo in White Wedding. He was in Billy Idol. He's oh, in yeah. Joan Jett. He's a guy with a pompadour. Mm-hmm. He was in Riot, but he had long hair. Wow! So he was the original guy. He was actually in Rock City on three songs. You know, we but, just uh, had we just had Tommy Price from oh, cool. uh, Billy yeah, Idol, the drummer. We just yeah. had him on our show, and he was awesome, awesome to talk to, man. Awesome. He he knows Phil. They've jammed yeah. and stuff. So. Well, you know, Tommy lives in San Antonio now. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. ended up marrying that that one girl. Stephanie. That, I, Stephanie. I, yeah, I, Stephanie. I knew back yeah. in the day. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so cool, yeah. cool little circle there. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so let's, let's let's move. Uh, we don't. Ha- we can break timeline a little bit. Let's fast okay. forward a little bit to. And I hate I hate it that I I don't really have any other words. But uh, Mark's health started to go. And what right. year was that? And tell us a little bit about how uh, that sort of unfolded. That, well, um, just just real quick, after the Privilege of Power record, that's when I took off. 
Okay. Um, okay. I was having problems with the band myself. Um, uh, we were going to back to Japan again and we were making, banking a lot of money in Japan. Back in the day, we were making a lot of money. I was like, damn, you know? So what ended up happening is that they were saying, well, this time you're going to go to Japan and we're going to get the money and we'll disperse a percentage. And I'm going like, no, no, no. Management wanted to keep a lot of it. And they ended up. So I said, I'm not going to do it. So I talked to Mark and Bobby. Then I said, look, I'm not going to go over there and give someone else my money. You know, so I ended up saying, you know, they couldn't do anything. Well, we got to go. We're booked. So they wouldn't do it. They said, we'll get someone else. And I said, all right. So we ended up getting someone else. I actually got Pete in the band, even yeah. though, you know, because he's our friend. Pete yeah, Paris. He's someone, he's someone like Bobby that he doesn't have to audition. He looks good. He plays. He plays he's a great. Monster. He's a monster. Yeah. Right. It's not yeah, so gonna be, it's not going to be the same bass style because he plays cook, with finger. Cookie dude. Cookie dude. Cookie dude. Cook, yeah. cookie dude. That's another story. We'll get yeah, into that's cookie another. Dude. That's another. Yeah, metal anyway, bass looking at us like these guys are clowny. Yeah. What the hell's going on here? It's, it's that whole other. Now, I'm who learning. else? Who else knows Cookie Dude? Is it just again me, you, and McLean? And 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 Mark. You know, of course. Oh, you know, Mark knows Cookie Dude, right? Yeah, because they would call him Cookie Dude when I'd get back. When I got back with the right when we did the reunion, right? He's like, "What's Cookie Dude up to these days?" You know, and and <laughs> cook, cook, Cookie Dude was basically, I think, we were. We were on the road and it might have been Pitbull Daycare and because I was playing guitar at the time. Mm. And I think we might have had Pete filling in for a few shows. And we were like, we played a gig somewhere and we had a customized van where there was an actual bunk bed in the back. And he was on the bottom. He was kind of buried. So we're like, Dave pulls the curtain open. He goes, hey, we're at a truck stop. You want anything? Cookie, dude. That's all he said. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it came from it's perfect that's perfect I, I, I don't even know if i ever knew the origin of cookie yeah. dude but yeah. what about the little dance that mclean did with it cookie oh dude. yeah yeah like he, a, he did he did the little yeah he did the little did dance the little, like Pee yeah. Wee herman kind of a thing or something oh my god dude there's so much stuff we could go into and and yeah, i consider for it's transcendent to even rock and roll it's just right. it's just bro shit yeah. Yeah. So anyway, moving forward. Yeah. yeah. So the relationship with Pete, you know, I told Bobby, I said, well, just get cookie, dude, you know, and at the time I might have come back under different circumstances. And we're to, because, just to give full, it's Pete Perez. Yes. Pete was Perez. Within Carrion, which is another underground legendary Texas right. metal band. He, I think the, he was in one of the Sabotage bands and Saber Sat, all okay. that stuff. Oh, right. Okay. And, and, and we were friends and we we're still to this state. We became friends. None of the replacement stuff ever got in between the bros. You know, we're right, like, right, oh, dude, I was like, well, have at again, it. He, when he was in, uh, I mentioned Carry On, that's K-A-R-I-O-N, Carry On. That has mm -hmm. Chris Cronk, who was in S.A. Slayer for a moment. And, and Art. Art Villarreal, who played on Prepare to Die. So there's this yep. full like bro down right. collection of it was like, it was it was an easy fix because we had great players in san antonio so always. they didn't have to like audition so oh. i was like i remember you know working with bobby and then getting a list to him i said dude have at it i said you know you're not going to probably make you know there's not going to be a fucking you know golden pot with a rainbow bro but you know it is riot and you're going to get out there and be in riot yeah. and play yeah. he was like you know so he ended up doing it and i took off you know and then they played stuff and it was never really the same because um tony moore was going to leave with me but he ended up sticking it out for that one tour and then he quit and so when tony quit the thunder still was gone they ended up okay. getting mike DeMeo, which was more of a rainbow and they their direction turned into rainbow mm -hmm. and it wasn't aggressive and 
they couldn't get a big record deal. Um, they were on independence and they were doing small shows. So that era of riot, although it was really cool, you know, Bobby was in there, cookie dude, mm -hmm. and it was cool music. It just was never like lived up to the fire down under a thunder still days. So, uh, that being said, um, that's how, uh, I got the call to come back because Bobby and Mark would say, uh, when we're on the road doing meet and greets, even when Bobby was already doing on some of that stuff, Bobby was already doing Halford, Sebastian yeah, Bach. Okay, right. So he said, I'd be at meet and greets and they would thunderstill record to come up. When are you guys going to get this together? Uh -oh. Y'all got need to get this back together. Uh -oh. So they were like, okay, whatever. Another year goes by Mark and them keep hearing it, dude, you need to get thunderstill back together. Yeah. So Bobby called me, Bobby said, Hey, we're going to get in the band back together, man. Yeah. Uh, so he said, we're going to get Thunderstill back together because there's the crowd wants that. And it's like, okay. And they couldn't do Fire Down Under, which would be the other choice because Guy was gone, you know, and they wanted to yeah. do something. And I said, I'd agree to do Thunderstill, but we got to get Tony Moore, the voice, back. And Tony was kind of had already moved on with his life. He got married. And at first he was like, really not really new. He says, man, guys, I don't know if I can sing that high anymore, you know, and this and that, you know, so we said, well, let's, let's try it. So, you know, there was label interest, obviously, you know, so, uh, that's when we ended up getting the band back together, uh, the, the riot thunder still lineup. And we went to Japan and we did shows with the original guys. Tony came in, then we recorded Immortal soul, which was our comeback record and Immortal soul, uh, was, um, you know, and this is, this is a hard one because we got a deal on that SPV, the steam hammer, big mm -hmm. metal label in Europe. Mm -hmm. So we ended up doing, uh, immortal soul and stuff and, um, Mark's health, getting to Mark's health. Um, after we got back together, he was a different guy. Um, you know, you knew him when I knew him, when he was straight as an arrow and, um, he would jog. He was very healthy. Well, uh, I remember going to a rehearsal and hearing someone go, Hey, can we stop and get a bottle? And I just like did a double take and turned around. I go, who just fucking said that. And they said, Mark drinks brandy now. And I was like, Holy shit. Well, you know, then it was basically to hide the pain a little bit. Mike was telling me, Mike Flint's, he said, you know, his, you know, we always knew that, you know, of, of his ailment, you know, it wasn't, is bad back in the day, but we knew about it, you know? So his Crohn's was getting a little bit worse. He had Crohn's. So, uh, he ended up, you know, being cool for most of a mortal soul. And then, uh, his playing started faltering a little bit. And a lot of people don't know this, but, uh, Mike Flint's pretty much played everything on a mortal soul. I think Mike play, uh, Bart played, maybe a few rhythms and maybe one or two leads, but the whole dual lead and the whole thing of Immortal Soul was basically Mike Flint's. Wow, um, interesting. Yeah. Mike, uh, Mark was, his health wasn't good. Um, he started staying with me here in San Antonio when we did the reunion and he came back and he was living with me here in San Antonio. And uh, he, he would always, I'd go in and check on him and he'd be laying in the bed in my guest bedroom. And I'd be like, Mark, and he wouldn't move, you know, and at first I would be like, I'd get scared and I'd be like, stunt. And then he would look, what, what? And, you know, he'd have, you know, he was taking a lot of pills, you know, for Ooh, the, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, they gave him stuff for it, but he was drinking with it too. You know, it's the sad, the sad story yeah. that a lot of people go through. Yeah. And um, I told Mark, I said, you know, he's like, I'm not feeling well. So I remember taking him to the Methodist here and taking him to hospitals here, you know, but he would go in and they would keep him and he would come out. They would take him and he would have to stay overnight. You know, he'd call me and he'd be like, hey, they're going to, they're going to keep me overnight. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Stay there. He was in and out a few times. One time he went into a coma, like a couple of days, and we were freaking out. And then he came out of it, you know, and then he played with us. But his playing, he was definitely not as articulate as he used to be. Okay. He was suffering a little bit. So we, um, you know, we did some shows and getting back to the festivals. That's when we went over and we did, uh, you know, we did the the bang your head stuff and we did... Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the Spain festival and stuff like that, you know, rock fest, Barcelona, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We did that and he played and there's some videos out there of it. You know, it's Mark's last performances. And wow. uh, we played um, two huge festivals. It went great. It was the original lineup, Bobby, me, uh, Mike, Tony Moore and, and Mark. And we did shows and stuff. And yeah. And the playing was a little bit different, you know, and we could tell. And so when we got back, you know, uh, Mark, you know, he met a gal and he was hanging out with her a little bit and hanging out with me. And he was still drinking a little bit and he was taking his pills for the pain. And, um, you know, we were just keeping an eye on the guy. So we get booked on that 70,000 tons of metal. It's a ship metal cruise. cruise you've, done, yeah. you've done those. Metal cruise, yeah. Yep. It's a metal cruise. And it left out of Florida and went to like Jamaica or something. So anyway, uh, we were scheduled to go. And uh, we had booked the flights and everything because, you know, the part of the deal, they put us in a hotel in Florida the night before and we get on there and then, you know, they pay for everything. So we had a couple crew guys and the five band members and um, uh, we have to rehearse. And so uh, Marks doesn't rehearse. He says, I'm not going to rehearse. And we're like, why? He goes, I'll. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll catch the last rehearsal. We're like, okay, well, the last rehearsal comes and he's not there. And I call him and say, what's going on? And he's like, I'm fine. You know, this and that, I know the stuff. I'll go over the set list, send me a set list. I'll just meet you in Florida. Weird. You know, we're like, dude, are you okay? We don't want to do this if you're not going to be there. All right. So we get down to Florida and there's no Mark. And we're like, what the hell is going on? So I call him and I'm like, dude, what's going on? We're here. You know? And he's like, man, my Crohn's is acting up. He's like, just, you know, just if, if I don't make it continue on and do the show. And we were like, everybody else like, we're going to do a right show without Mark Reale. What are you fucking crazy? You know what I mean? Even though we were already kind of established, you know, it's, th this is the thunder still lineup. You know what I mean? So, um, we didn't want to do it. We almost flew back home. I remember sitting in, in the room and talking to Mike Flint's about, I don't know if we should do this. And we were like, we agreed. So Mark was one of these guys that would always tell me, as a matter of fact, just going back just a hair to Immortal soul. I remember picking Mark up to take him to a doctor's appointment and then his girlfriend's and I put the CD on and he looked at me, goes, what is that? And I go, that's your new record. He goes, that is, I go, yeah, it's Mike Flint's. And he goes, that sounds excellent, you know, and he thought, you know, he loved the way it sounded. He goes, y'all are representing. He was going and he was cool with us. That's why when people go like, oh, I can't believe these guys are sponging off Mark and Ryan. It's like Mark Reale told me, he goes, dude, you guys are doing an amazing job. 
definitely continue on riot. It's fucking awesome. You're my bros, right? Proud so father. anyway, proud so, father, proud father moments. Yeah, dude. And I was just kind of like, you know, this is the guy, you know, that I grew up fucking idolizing and, you know, asked me to join his band. He was, I was a huge fan of anyway. So we, you know, we're in Florida and he says, just do the show without me. And we're freaking out. We're like, dude, whoa. So we ended up getting on this damn ship. No Mark Reale. We get on the, the thing and we're at our rooms on the ship. We all have our own separate rooms. We get, you know, five separate rooms in a crew room. And so there's mine. Mark's closed. You know what I mean? There's a Mark Reale room. You know, we're going like, this is going to be totally weird. Mike Flint's going to have to do it four piece. So, uh, um, you know, we ended up, you know, playing the first show. Cause I don't know if they do it when you do them, they make you do two shows. One, when you're going there and you stop at the place and you mm -hmm. get back on the ship and go back, you play a second one. Yeah. Well, we it's, it's two shows, a meet and greet. Yeah. Right. You know, so maybe, maybe a Q and a, and then you're right. Done. Yeah. And so, you know, the first one was a little weird and we were all still flipping out that we were going to do a show without Mark. And, uh, we did the first show without Mark, you know, in one of the, one of the places and, uh, uh, we finished it and, uh, it's a little tough. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, man. That, I can only imagine cause you had been at this point you guys have been working together for a long fucking time. Yeah. Yeah. We got the call on the ship that he passed away. So while you were, while you were out on the boat, we're, we're was... in the middle of the ocean oh, and, um, uh, Mike Flint's gets the call, you know, they get in touch with us and it's Tony's father. I mean, I'm sorry, Mark's father, Tony, Tony Reale. Mm -hmm. And he tells us Mark passed away. And we're just like, you know, dude, everybody's crying. I mean, how we're do just... you, how do you, how did, yeah, I, I, sorry to interrupt. How do you, how did, did you, you had one more show to do? We had to do another show. And that was a really, one of the toughest things that we had to do because when we found out, um, this is how it happened. Uh, I'm in my room and I get a knock at the door and I open the door and Mike Flint's the other guitar player is crying. And I look at him and I go, no, no, please don't tell me no. And he told me, and then we knocked on all the doors. Bobby was there. We all went into like a room. I think we went into Mark's room that wasn't occupied and we sat there and we just hugged each other and we cried. And after that, we were just like, that's it done we're done that's it you know the band's done we don't want to play we don't want to play our second show so we started talking to everybody some of the other bands aboard it started circling around the the singer from hammerfall joe keem walks up and he goes hugs me dude i'm so sorry we're starting to hear about it you know all the bands are hearing through the grapevine that mark has passed away and well, so there's only probably three or four thousand people on a ship but yeah. it's a it's a ship yeah, You're, so, it's 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 uh, it's like a beehive. Everyone's living on top of each other. And, you know, that's why the covid is bad on a ship. Because yeah, everyone's, you can't social. Yeah, you're, you're you're right there. You know, yeah, yeah. so the, the word got around and we didn't know what we were going to do. We basically wanted to cancel. And then we're like, well, we're going to be on this ship because you're stuck. You're on a ship. 
you know, we're going to be on this ship for another couple of days just with Mark's passing. You know, I'm like, Fuck. well, we sat around and then the singer Tony goes, you know what? We're going to play that second show and we're going to play a show like we've never played before. And we're going to dedicate it to Mark and we're going to have every band come up and sing or we're going to do stuff, you know. So we decided that we would play the show. And uh, there's there's uh, there's YouTube footage of it of us on the ship and Tony announcing it to the crowd and it, oh it's wow. brutal, so oh, God, I can't imagine. yeah it's, it's it's brutal and uh, so he announces to the crowd you know uh, we started the show you know and we said you know, after we stopped you know Tony said you know Mark Raley passed away and you know this shows for him and hold your glasses up and the whole nine then that's when. Joe Akeem come Hammerfall comes up and he sings Flight of the Warrior with us. So we had people and a lot of the bands that played, I'd be watching them and they this goes out to Mark Reality, the other bands that were playing that day. So it was it was kind of cool that everybody did that. So yeah, he died on a ship. You know, we're out yep. there representing right and the guy passes away. We had no earthly idea that it was gonna be that bad. And when he passed away, it was a surprise. We we weren't totally shocked, but we were surprised because we knew he'd been out in the hospital. He's just not feeling well. He'll be back with us. You know what I mean? And then when he passed away, it was just it was kind of sad. But at least I get a little comfort knowing that I spent, you know, the last week with the guy and he was still my bro and he was still staying with me, you know, and, you know, it was kind of cool. So when we got back. Obviously, um, we had to take care of Mark. And so yep. we uh, we ended up, um, you know, there was really Mark's, the only person living was Mark's father, Tony. He's still living. His mom was gone and Mark was an only child. So his dad was really old, you know, like almost pushing 90. So we're going to have to bury Mark. We talked to his dad. You want him to go back to New York? No, bury him in San Antonio. That's That was his love. That was his town. So we got together and we got the credit cards out and we used money and we basically bought the uh, headstone for him and we had the, the funeral for him and stuff like that. And, and a lot of past members came down, you know, some oh, of the good. old singers and different people. Yeah. I was a pole bearer, you know, when we buried yeah. him over there off of Nacogdoches in San Antonio and back up okay. the small Holy Cross. And, you know, it was, it was crazy. We had, you know, um, the services before we had a video screen showing pictures of Mark and good times. And, you know, and it was hard, you know, because, um, you know, you're, it's your, one of your best friends. I've known him longer than anybody in that band riot. And we had a relationship with him, you know, on and off stage, he was our friend. So, you know, to see him laid in a casket was tough because he had an open casket funeral. And I remember getting to the, uh, uh, the funeral, uh, the place early. So I stand in there and the guy comes up to me, are you family? And I said, pretty much. He goes, well, if you would like to go in and, and see him. And I was like, I walked, I remember walking, Holy shit! you know, no one was in the, the chairs, but I walked yeah. down it and I got closer and closer to him, dude. And I saw him, we, they had him dressed in his rock and roll clothes, his hair wow, and everything. Oh, and I walked and I just looked at him, you know, and I was just like, and I started talking to him. Dude, 
what did you do? You know, what, you know, I started talking to him like he was like, and yeah. you know, I just started talking to him. I said, dude, I'm so sad. And I was crying and, you know, and I went back out You know, they had to comfort me and stuff like that. But then everybody came and people told stories, you know, and the, and Amazing. the band members were there. His, his father flew down. We flew him down from New York Wow. and he stayed with us and we, you know, we're taking care of Tony to this day. There is nobody else. Mike Flint has to go mow the lawn, have coffee with him in the morning, take him to appointments and a surgery, you know, and stuff like that. And then we had to set up uh, the ASCAP and BMI to go to his father to now. To Tony, right. Yeah, yeah. You have to give it to, you know, the heirs of Mark's legacy and stuff. That's right. So we had to do all that for him because, you know, he didn't know anything about that. So basically, you know, we did all that stuff and flew Tony back home, you know, and we're still friends with Tony and we even got his blessing. Like when we'd go up there, we'd ask him, we said, we don't know what to do. Your son, it's your son's band. And he was, he was like, you know, he would want you to go on, you know, don't let the music die with my son was a, I was like, holy. That's a, that's a song title right there. You're killing it. That's a song title right there, dude. Dude. And, that quote, and I've used that thing in a couple interviews when they tell me, I said, he told me that. And I said, dude, so uh, we ended up, you know, uh, after the funeral, everybody went home and that was yeah. it. And then I was like, you know, I, I don't think we can do anything. Although contractually with a label, we had one more record to give someone. And so mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, they might not want it without Mark. We didn't do anything for a while. Mike Flint said, uh-uh, I'm out. I'm not going to do it. And I said, okay, because he was another guy that was been in the band a fairly long spell. Um, he came in right after the Thunder Still stuff. So um, we weren't going to do it. So DVS starts writing music. You know, I got to, like, start healing. So I start writing music like Mark taught me because Mark was my friend but my mentor. He's the one that actually told me how even though you play a million riffs, power metal you got to have a a melody people got to memorize that song and that melody you know so he taught me how to write a song like that so i would write the fast up but with a real nice melody and stuff so i continued writing i wrote i guess about four or five songs and uh i'd be in touch with mike flint i said should we try should we continue and he's like i don't know you know i'm still healing and i said okay i go you just do your thing let me kind of see what's going on out there So I ended up having to find a singer, you know, because Tony Moore, I asked Tony and at first he said he would do it. And then he said, you know what? I could barely do the reunion. I don't think I want to continue. You know, I can't, my pipes aren't the same anymore. And I said, I got you. So I had to find a singer. And that's when I ended up finding, you know, I I found a couple guys, but I ended up going with this guy, Todd Michael Hall, because uh, a friend of mine, Bart Gabriel, uh, which is another part of the circle that put out, Yep. This reissued this, the Slayer. I asked him, yep. I reached out to him and he told me a couple power metal European singers, but I was like, coming to the U.S. to rehearse, you know, it's going to be a pain in the balls. We need to find someone here. And he said, hey, there's this guy out of Detroit area or Michigan. He's playing with Jack Starr, you know, and uh, a couple bands. His name's Todd Michael Hall. So we had this other guy and we had... uh we had Todd. And so we were listening to him. And then the producer who produced Immortal Soul, I was going to produce one who was Bruno Ravel. 
He's the bass player for Danger Danger. Remember that That's right. 80s yeah, band? He produced he's produced a few riot records. He produced our our first one back without Mark. He produced it. Anyway, and he played in a band with Mark and Tony Harnell, Westworld, which he suggested get Tony Harnell. So I'm going like, I love Tony Harnell. TNT, yeah. one of my favorite great, singers. Great I call singer. Tony Harnell and I started writing music with Tony Harnell. And then it got to a point where Tony Harnell wanted us to be. It was weird. It was almost like he had ideas of grungy stuff. And I was like, mm. but you got to call it right. It's a brand, you know, and I was kind of like, well, uh, I don't know. And I didn't. I love the guy, but it kind of ended up just parting ways. And I got some demos stuff with Tony, mm -hmm. but you know, we ended up going like, it's not going to work. Me and Mike decided, you know, when Mike was, yeah, I don't think it's going to work. So we ended up going with the Todd Michael Hall guy because he had a great high voice. He could emulate the past and everything. I saw Let's him give on it a American world. Idol or some shit. He I was, was going to ask, is, is this who we're talking about? Yeah. The same guy that was yeah. on? Yeah. The yeah. voice. Yeah, yeah, the voice. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, he was I, on the voice. You know, I've heard I've heard not to not to push you forward, but I'm kind of looking at the clock here, Don. I could talk to you for four more hours about this. Yeah. Here's the deal. So you make a record with with this new version of, of Riot and with Todd, and he's amazing. He can sing anything. He right. reminds me of like a, a new wave of British heavy metal singer but with like modern tone and even has a guy speranza timber exactly. once in a while that's exactly what he is he's a yeah. a guy speranza with a power metal kind of vibe that's right so basically jumping forward he sang on the demos and uh you know i i sent my demos to the record label and they i was like i know it's going to be weird you know and ollie at the label goes dude i love it wow it sounds like you know early riot, you know, but like, you know, power metal. And then of course the Japanese people loved it too. So I said, okay, great. Bobby couldn't continue anymore. He started recording demos, but he was doing Halford, Sebastian Bach, Iced yeah. Earth, Faith, you know, Fate's Warning, warning you yeah. know, and it's yeah. like, he goes, dude, I won't be, be able to record for another year. So he said he was never like left or booted out. It was just like we had to get a record done. So we basically got an old riot drummer, this guy, Frankie Gilchrist. Okay. Uh, Gilchrist was on Army of One and he was in Virgin Still Forever. Uh, and he played on those records and he played on um, some other stuff too. And uh, so he did the drums. So once we made the record, I didn't know what to call it. You know, Japanese people, of course, riot. It's going to be riot here for Mark's legacy. Well, I was thinking it's weird. And then the European guys were going, are you going to keep the same name? And I was like, well, I had an idea. And that's kind of why we're kind of Riot 5 and then we're kind of Riot. People are like, well, what are you? And I said, well, I felt like maybe this is the fifth chapter because it is. It's yeah. five singers, the fifth style of Riot. We're keeping the legacy going, but this is the fifth thing. We have nothing to do with Fire Down Under, Sandy, okay? This is like the fifth one going forward, okay? And so... That's what happened. And we didn't know. It was the same thing like when we did Thunderstool. Is this going to work? People are going to go, no, these guys are a joke. They're a cover band. And some people still say it. So we said, well, let's try it. And so we played our first festival. Um, I forget what it was called, like Headbangers Open Air or something with a new lineup. And we played and the crowd went berserk, you know, because music is music. You know, and yeah. I'm the only kind of original guy from the Thunderstill era. That's why I said, let's call it Riot 5, me on. Yeah, I'm not an original guy from that. I love that band. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is me. 
This is power right. metal. We're playing, right. we play two, three old riot songs and the rest is us. So anyway, crowd loved it. We ended up, record did good. And we ended up to bigger and better things. Then we, contract was over. We did demos. I shopped to Nuclear Blast, the world's biggest metal label. Jumped on us. They go Riot 5 is, we love it. Yeah. So we made a new record. We made Armor of Light and it's on, and we did festivals. And the band is bigger than I've ever experienced with Riot. Even when I went to Japan, I mean, we're playing, you know, Vakken Festival, Rockfest Barcelona, 200,000 people. I mean, you know, and, and the vibe is just really supportive. Over in Europe, it's just amazing. Uh, and people at the meet and greets, like, you have other records? Yeah, there's like 10 records. They're like, what? They don't even know wow. that stuff. Yeah. I said, you got to listen to the original stuff. That's where yeah. I grew up on. So anyway, okay. the band's moving forward. It's Riot 5, and here we are, and we're doing great. They still, the artist does Riot 5 here and there, and then in Japan, it's they take the V off. It's okay. just weird. It's a Japanese thing. That's okay. We're like we're we're okay with it because they're real close with Mark, you know, yeah. and they feel like don't don't damage the logo because Mark is our hero, you know. So, right. so anyway, so that's kind of where the band stands, and you know, moving way forward to present day, we're working on demos, but because of all the COVID, everything's up in the air right it's now. It's hard. It's hard to see any foreseeable anything, right? Um, Certainly, so I'm doing there's, I'm, certainly there's there's something on the calendar. You guys have some festivals yeah, to next we, year and stuff. Yeah, we have a couple of things brewing. Um, we were okay. supposed to release in uh, latter 2020, now 2021. But some bands do release. Riot feels like we want to do it the right way when we're able to new release from Riot promotions yeah. tour. And so we pushed it back to 2022. We've have a record, you know, we pretty much got like we're being lackadaisical on it because we know we got time, but we've, we've got probably about, you know, 15 demo ideas, but we've recorded for real, like pretty much 10 of the songs. So oh, it's there. So we'll put it out when the time comes, it's just in our back pocket. So everybody, you know, Todd's still in the, in the Michigan and the guys are in New York and I'm in Texas. I've been doing stuff to keep busy. I played on Alcatraz. Yeah, um, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. With uh, which was an honor because you know, uh, Giles Lavery, who's their manager, um, asked me if I would like to do, uh, you know, the the one with Graham on it still, Born Innocent. Yeah. And I was like, Are you serious? What about Gary Shea? And they go, Well, he's going through some stuff right now, and uh, he's can only record a couple, you know. And you know, I was like, It'd be an honor. And he's like, We'll pay you. And I said, It'd be an honor, you know, whether or not. So anyway, I ended up playing on Born Innocent with the Graham Bonnet, one of my favorite singers of all yeah, time. I love him. With yeah. Jimmy Waldo and all those guys. And then Steve Vai guest appearance on, you know. Sick. Dirty Like the City. And I'm going, I'm playing with Steve Vai. <laughs> like, yeah. What, uh, what, is, what is going on here, you know? Yeah. And, and there's other guests, you know, and I'm going like, wow, this is cool. So I did that record and that came out. And uh, it's great being mentioned on a Alcatraz record, you know? I'm like, whoa. And then... The new one's coming out. Um, they call me again, but they have a new singer. They got rid of Graham, and they got Doogie White from the uh, Rainbow and all in mm -hmm. all sorts of bands. So anyway, 
they sent me all the demos and they said, can you do bass on this stuff again? And I said, okay. They said, Gary can only do a couple. And they liked me to play the ing bass stuff because I got the quicker fingers. Yeah. So I'm doing the real quick stuff. So I played on the new Alcatraz record and um, so that'll be out soon. So that was keeping me busy. And uh, I did, well, you know. Always, you've always had time to do other projects, uh, you know, your your little friends down in San Antonio and and myself the, the uh, Texas Metal it, Outlaws it, and Evil United two records yeah. with Evil United which is yeah. basically Pitbull Daycare right your your nineties industrial metal right. band uh, infamously touring with bands like Merciful Fate and Ministry right right, um, right. you know took a little little left turn uh, Bishop the singer for Pitbull took a break and you guys called me with you had leftovers and i yep. ate your leftovers <laughs> yeah. and and, was, uh, and finally we we had a band together for a little while uh you know not to make i was, was going to bring up i was i was you know almost in sa slayer for about a second there and you uh, you you were you were in sa slayer and you always be a part of sa slayer thank you i uh, love uh, you too donnie uh, uh, because, you know, I mean, we just, like I said, we could talk forever. I mean, you lived with me in my apartment for a while. Yeah. You were almost in there. Remember we were, yeah. we, we lived together and, yeah. you know, and just recently, I mean, you know, under the table, you know, uh, I have mentioned that we did remake prepare to die with you singing. A lot of you people might not know. Or if no it was one's announced. heard it. Yeah. No one's heard it, but we did, uh, do a new version of prepare to die with all the original guys and, and Jason sang on it, Ronnie Jarzombek's on guitar, Dave McLean, you know? And so, uh, we haven't done nothing with it, but who's to say we might not do something. Cause like y'all mentioned earlier and Jason mentioned earlier, I do get calls all the time or when I'm down there with the riot, they're like, what would it take to get a Slayer reunion over here? And it probably will happen one of these days. And of course there's, it's a no brainer. Who's going to sing. It's, you know, Jason, he's part of the family. And speaking of Jason being part of the family, when me and Todd were doing that stuff uh, outside of Pitbull, we were going to look for singers, you know. And then I was like, let me just ask my dit. <laughs> Would you be into something like this? You know, and, and you well, were like, I rem yeah, I remember absolutely. When you asked me. I do you remember when you asked me about it? Yeah. And, and uh, it was a little get up and go music, too. Yeah. Well, it was, like, it was, it was uh, heavy <laughs> just to say it was that heaven and hell mega death machine head or something. Oh, like that's that right. At, that's uh, true. in, uh, New Braunfels at that big shed tour. Yeah. 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 I remember that. We were and, all backstage, uh, yeah, uh mega death, yeah. uh, heaven and hell. I, I, Ronnie was back. Ronnie Dio was back there. Mustaine yeah. was back there. It was just, yeah. I was people, back there. Yeah. You were back there <laughs> were walking around. It was earlier in the day, I believe that. We were yeah. back there and, uh, and you go, Hey, we got some leftover riffs. Would you mind? I was like, where do I sign? Yeah, it was that yeah. simple. And, you know, and I was jazz, uh, because you're my bro and, you know, we finally get to work together. We've known yeah. each other for like 40 years <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and like, dude, we're actually gonna, you know, I mean, we're going to actually record something together. And, and it's weird. It's like, we're older now and it's probably the heaviest music we've ever done. I, and we've done some pretty heavy music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I first heard evil United, I was like, Holy mackerel. I'm in one of these bands. I, you I know? remember getting a text from you after you actually read the lyrics on the first evil United record, you read the lyrics and you were like, 
you were like you wrote you, you you it was a quote from my lyrics you go satanicist question mark question mark question mark because <laughs> i have a lyric that mentions a made-up word satanicist yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> satanist satanicist. Arc, arc and, uh, arc, yeah that's uh, the, that, that's uh, the name of your next band yeah that's the name that's, of your next satanicist project. yeah it'll yeah. be even heavier yeah. apparently yeah. it's going to be even heavier and me and jason are going to walk on stage on walkers <laughs> yeah. and be even heavier than <laughs> evil united wearing cloaks <laughs> wearing like like robes right yeah with uh yeah. upside down crosses yeah so people behind us yeah. yeah 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 and we'll have gowns on so you can't see our walkers you just think we're right. into the stage like being evil well we just look like we're floating right yeah yeah, yeah. i'm but, glad uh, you guys uh, i'm glad you guys brought up evil united because we can't have this show with two of you on on the show and not bring up evil united and the records that donnie was part of were, were really good uh my son and i are are we like the uh honored by fire record my son digs it uh, shout out to Jason West. What a monster on drums. That oh, guy. yeah. And uh, I was going to ask you, Don, if you remember uh, back in your, you mentioned Pitbull Daycare there briefly. Do you remember when I wrote uh, an article on you guys for Metal Edge magazine? I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was real proud of that because um, it was a chance to get one of my San Antonio guys into an international rock magazine you know yeah you know, i i felt like a lot of the world wasn't familiar with you because you were you you were you were signed and you were getting some traction but you weren't you know internationally known so i felt like i was kind of putting you out there on in the magazine no no it was great i remember being in those magazines and even a picture and it yeah. was weird because after after i did leave riot i had a brief band called crimson storm and it was power metal and then i went on to do pitbull daycare and the first mm. incarnation of pitbull was like a speed metal band i played guitar and sang and then when we got steven in the band we started we were like ministry a little bit we we're a little bit yeah. more industrial and yeah. that's when we got picked up by uh cleopatra records who was like a pioneer industrial label yeah. and one of our records i just spoke to him the other day uh fred Corey, the drummer from cinderella produced uh unclean uh uh, the record that we did for Cleopatra. And I talked to Fred about Jeff, you know, who passed yeah. recently. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Jeff was, uh, Fred was, yeah, bummed out. But anyway, he produced that and we started getting up there. We, we had, uh, I had songs in Saw. We had songs in Scary Movie 4. We started like getting our music in all these movies and we toured with, you know, King Diamond and Lords of Acid and Ministry, and, like big tours. And we had a full head of steam at that point. And then, uh, Cleopatra just started just dying out, just like, you know, uh, the same label story where they you get shelved and you start dying out. So basically after that, you know, that's when kind of I was doing other little things. And then I got the call from Bobby, you know, to do the do the riot thing. But, uh, yeah, you know, me and Todd, uh, T.C. Connolly, Todd, the guitar player, we have history. When I first left Riot, he was my very first guitar player that I got for my solo band. And he played shows with me. Uh, Todd even played with Rhett Forrester's Riot. That's another story. We did a Rhett Forrester's Riot where it was me, Todd, and Rhett. And we played Sunken Gardens. A pariah opened. I got so many stories. But anyway, Todd's been with me for a long time. And uh, so when we did the Evil United, that was, you know, the last thing I had done with him. And, then you know, it was cool because it was like Todd's like my brother, family. And then I got my other brother, Jason. So, you know, we're all... You know, of course, yeah. JV4, the guitar player, and Jason amazing. West, the units. These are, all, these are all amazing people. 
I feel super honored to be involved at all. Firstly, because it was you. Second, because it's your family. I don't think I knew JV4, John Valenzuela yet, but yeah. a monster producer, guitar player, riff writer. Uh, I could say the same about Todd and his whole yep. thing. And, uh, you know, the third record, the Serpent record, I was really bummed that, you know, you weren't going to be involved. But then, um, you know, uh, it worked out. Everything worked out. Uh, right. it, that record came out, and it's a it's a great record. It's a great uh, record. Andrew Salazar did an excellent did job a, on the bass. He's a excellent sick, job. sick bass player. And yeah. so everything was this cool. Now, the reason you go from Evil United, Honored by Fire, to the Serpent record without Van Stavern is because of this. Don, you got busy with Riot. You yep. didn't even know that it was going to blow up the way that it did. And you, I remember the call. You had That's the say, transition. I, I yes. have to step down from this cool sort of underground project to do this thing that's actually getting a lot of interest I I, uh, I know all about that. Yeah, I remember I had to, I first started getting fill-ins. I said, hey, Riot's going to be in Europe. I think Troy filled in once, wow. Troy Dobler from Wednesday yeah. 13, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I was just like, y'all had booked some other shows, and then I was at a festival again, and I just was yeah. like, I felt like, guys, you're going to have to get another fill-in, and then it got to the point where it got too busy because, yeah, I didn't think the riot five was going to take off like it did and yeah. it ended up taking off and oh that's right we did the how evil united did the philip anselmo's house core festival in austin mm -hmm. with troy and yeah I believe that uh jv4 john valenzuela guitar player was was in dallas and we were going on so early that day that's the thing with festivals sometimes you get an early slot and you got to be there after breakfast yeah. <laughs> so. right well, it was me and Todd and Troy and Jason West. Yeah. That was a weird Evil United. But you know what? Uh -huh. We rocked the shit out of that thing, man. Yes. Yeah, sometimes it does that. You know, we did the four-piece yeah. thing for a while when we were going through problems with Mark, you know, with his yeah. health. We'd do a yeah. four-piece, and it was weird. But, you know, you you play on, you know, yeah. and the bands played on. And yeah. that's that's what we did. So, I mean, Riot, Riot just got busy, you know. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and that's what I'm doing now, you know. I mean, it's I'm gonna, you know, represent Mark Rielli in the band, you know, because I made a promise to him, and I, you know, and everything I write, I have him on my shoulder giving me I advice. Feel like, I feel like uh, you were given the keys to the car, you know, not only by Mark Rielli, but his father Tony Rielli, and you know, and the fans. Well, no. we're and the we're, fans and the fans. We're, we're all right. family, and I and I know Tony, and we talked to Tony, and you know, contrary to what people might have heard, you know, and I know me and Sandy have had disagreements in that show you were talking about the podcast. He did bring my name up, of course, in a negative way, and um, all, all I can say is like, you know, we're representing it, we're doing it the right way, and we all of Mark's money goes to Tony Reale. All these bootlegs you see of Riot getting released box sets, we don't have anything to do with that. You know, like he's making money off of me. It's like, dude, we have nothing to do with that. The only thing I do is I manage Riot 5 on Nuclear Blast and Ward Records. We don't have nothing to do with that stuff. I don't even get money from Thunderstill, even though I was on that record. 
I didn't get any publishing rights and I got a little bit of, you know, writer's royalties here and there. But I mean, anything we do now, we created ourselves. It's not about sponging or being a cover band, which he says, you know what I mean? Or, you, you've you know, been given, you've been given to, you've been given the uh, seal of approval by the family uh, of yeah. Mark Reale, who basically is what the Thundersteel thing and where you, you know, where Thundersteel began, that's Mark Reale. And, right. and all of the things that you guys have been through, and even with your new guys. Uh, right. And that, we're, that it, we're playing, we're playing my new style of Thundersteel. You can hear it in the music. It is not yeah, yeah. the early riot. This but is the, but when the I fact joined. That you're, the fact that you're having the brand, um, you know, as your moniker, as your, you know, the front line is Riot. You see Riot, it makes it, people's ears prick up and they, they want to open up and learn the story behind this. I can understand right. why why Sandy might think these negative things about what's going on with Riot. It's like if they see a, a, a the brand Riot being, the, you know, the flag being flown somewhere and there's a gig and a tour and a new record and someone turns to Sandy and go, you are Aren't you playing a gig? No, I haven't been involved in riot. That's a different riot. It would be okay for just from from the outside to see Sandy say that's a different riot. Well, what do you mean? Well, I haven't been. He hasn't been involved in so long. Yeah. They have, all they got to do is press play. He he. <laughs> They're gonna know that that's well, not Sandy Slave. Well, and, all and, and also you know sometimes uh, you got to remember that Peter Bitelli was the original drummer. He was on Rock City and Narita, and he named the band. You're yeah, a real riot, Alice. He got yeah. that from the Honeymooners. Peter Bitelli was the original guy. Okay. Sandy comes across sometimes thinking that. Sandy played on the iconic Fire Down Under, and I give yeah. him props for that. That was yeah. an iconic record. But he was in the band like maybe three years. I've been in the band like 30 years. So you get to a point where like when people talk about that stuff, I would fire back, and then my guitar player band goes, the only thing you're doing is fueling his fire. He has a small little gang of people and you're doing stuff on a larger scale. Now don't, don't talk about it anymore. So I was like, okay, but he still continues. I saw the Catan thing, you know, cause they're best friends, you know, and yeah. you know, Sandy claiming that, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing bad things and I'm, calling i'm taking credit for fire down under and they put in riot v on fire down. i'm like dude that's internet stuff i i tried to find my music the other day and it was under the riot i'm like what is that and then yeah, i found out there's that's internet stuff that's foul. yeah and there, there's yeah. a there's a two guys in la called riot and they're djs i'm like yeah right it, that's out of my control yeah. you know right. you can't so, you can't do that anyway, so, so i'm gonna inter i'm interrupt here and uh um, Dave, I, before I, uh, I'm sorry, Don, but before I, I give it to Dave to basically give a sayonara here and, and get one last stab at you, I want to tell you thank you very much for being on Talk Louder today. Yeah. Well, thanks thanks yeah. for having me. Um, it was an honor and a pleasure not only to be on this show. I've watched a few of them, and they're really cool. I watched Bobby's. It was funny. Awesome. But to be with, you know, some of my best friends that I've known for for many many years so it was a no-brainer i'm like when and where i'll awesome. be there yeah awesome. <laughs> and, and, and sorry we've had to shuffle you around so many times you were very patient with us so thank you for that as well oh that's fine that's fine yeah man. i'm good i feel like we we covered so much ground today and 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 i still think there's gas in the tank but uh we we probably need to wrap this one up and uh 
maybe consider having a part two somewhere down the road. Donnie, you've been great today. I've always considered you part of uh, Texas metal history, just like my co-host here, Jason. And uh, it's an honor to have you on the show today and uh, to hear all your stories. Um, Thank you. And with that, I uh, (laughs) think we should call it a show. Gentlemen, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. On behalf of our special guest, Donnie Van Stavern, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Love you. Love you too, Donnie. We'll be right back.